This episode is brought to you by Smart Food. There are a bunch of ways to be smart during the holiday season. Getting the shopping done early, not seating your aunt next to your mom, and snacking on Smart Food popcorn. It's Air Pop popcorn tossed in delicious white cheddar cheese or sweet and salty kettle corn. You are what you eat. Welcome to the Smart Club. Shop now at snacks.com. Teen, how are you? Ozzy Ozzy, oi oi to you. YJ Overlander, good to have you here. Bialzabrad, nice to have you back. Kathy Evans, how are you? Marlena, how are you tonight? And who else do we have here? Let's take a look here. Hmm, I love it when this room is jam-packed like this. Uh, Obi Flett, my man, we'll see you in Vegas. Midwest Night Watchers, how are you? Chili Peen, welcome to SOR Chat. Thank you for joining us as time is winding down. Blue Cruise, good to see you, and we are caught up there for right now. Soon to be entered by Bill WD40 over on the Spreaker chat. Bill's going to be lubing us up for tonight's show, and uh, we always appreciate that. And uh, we got about 30 seconds here before we're going to launch. Dirt Road, Vaughn Patrick, good to see you both. And uh, reminders, Super Chat is open. Thank you, Thomas, again for kicking that off from Disclosure tonight. And, of course... You can head to our store, buy yourself some SOR swag. Yes, indeed. I think the, all the prices are in Canadian dollars, too. And uh, May 19th to 21st, Varla Ventura and many others will be in Las Vegas at the Golden Nugget for the second annual SOR Fan Party. We're going to have more information on that very, very soon for you to sign up and head on down with us. Horns up, everyone. Let's rock. Hey, hey, hey. From the mountains of central British Columbia to you listening around the world, this, my friends, is Spaced Out Radio. I am your host, Dave Scott, sitting in the captain's chair of SOR headquarters. We welcome you to tonight's show on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at YouTube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. You can follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot. Read Shirky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Tonight's show is brought to you by Chive Charities. Help make the world 10% happier by visiting Chive Charities today. You can find them on our website. We got a power show for you tonight as we get into zombies and immortals with the great author, Varla Ventura. VarlaVentura.net, her website. For some reason, she loves it when I say that. VarlaVentura.net. And... Then in hour number three, we're going to head to the swamp. Swamp Dweller's got another spooky story for us. Super Duke will be here with the cryptid report. Shirky Poo will have the news. It's been a few months 
and it's hard to believe. But Varla Ventura finally returns to Spaced Out Radio tonight after a three-month hiatus. You know, she had some health issues she had to deal with. And then last month, she caught caught when I had to quickly leave the show to go check up on my mom, whose health was really deteriorating at that time. By the way, just a quick update on my mom. She is doing great. Great. And she's sitting up. She's eating on her own. The sad part is she has been diagnosed at the beginning stages of dementia, but that's okay. She still remembers who I am because I'm her favorite kid. I'm her favorite kid, even with this beautiful beard I have right now. But nonetheless, everything's going a little bit better than what we thought it would there. So here we go with tonight's show. Varla is finally back. You can find all of her books in any major bookstores, and she is one of the most talented writers when it comes to the darker side of the paranormal and supernatural. We love her around here. She's an absolute great friend. Varla will also be attending our fan party in Las Vegas, May 19th to 21st, 2023 at the Golden Nugget. We invite all of you to join us. We're going to have some more information and details very, very soon. And we want you to be there with us and come hang out and Varla will be there. And I'm so excited. Varla Ventura, always a pleasure to have you on Spaced Out Radio. How you doing, <laughs> my beautiful friend? There I am. You're right here. <laughs> it's me. Hi, here I am. I am so happy about your mom. I mean, obviously the the dementia is not easy to deal with, but like her that her health improved, that's like... I'm just really happy for you. So she, she can't thanks for giving us that update. She can't walk yet. She's still in a week, too weak to walk. But the main thing is, mm-hmm. you know, the other day I was FaceTiming my dad, and here she is. And I know my mom is getting better because when she drinks, her pinky finger is up. Oh. Yes. Yeah, so she's she's yeah. getting back to her little pinky finger. Some little dexterity exactly. there. Yeah, that's a very that's a signature move. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, old Phil's signature move is back, and, I, and I'm happy to uh, <laughs> to see that, you know, but we're getting there. Now, some other, uh, other uh, important news here. I am now batching it with my son for the next couple of weeks because we're getting closer to grandpa time. Yeah, oh. getting closer to grandpa oh. time. Oh, oh. Yes. Oh. Yes. Uh, so, yep. Yeah. There was a little bit of change. We're that here. age, aren't we? We are at that age, and <laughs> and so uh, a drive was made today by the other half, and uh, she is uh, now four hours away and ready for my grandson to be born. Now I I, I got to tell you, I, I'm excited about this. I, I get a little weepy happy thinking about it, and right. I choke up. Uh-huh. And uh, but I'm allowed. Hell yeah, I'm yeah. allowed. Hell yeah. yeah. I just want to show your emotions. I want to meet the be a man. You, you know. Oh yeah. The only that's so exciting. The only problem that I have with with his father is their that side of the family doesn't like hockey. Oh. Oh. Yeah. So well, there's going. They to, can convert. Don't well, worry. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna convert the hell out of them because. Hey, I did not grow up with any hockey until my son started playing, and now I'm like. Well, yeah, a minute. Well, so, you know, we can all change. Exactly, because like I said, I, I said, you know what? I don't really care because his other grandfather, Jasper, is going to be his name. 
his other grandfather Cute. used to be a professional snowboarder. So I don't care. Snowboarding is, I love snowboarding. Mm-hmm. My knees are so bad. I can't do it. Snowboarding's but, cool. That's but, great. So he's looking forward to teaching. him. That, okay. I'm sorry, but can we just say like that? That's like, you know, you're getting old when professional snowboarders are becoming grandfathers right? because that wasn't always like a professional respected profession, even though we know it's incredibly physically challenging and it's an Olympic sport, but like, okay, we're at that. Yeah. I, I have to tell you, I got called, um, somebody made a comment the other day that I, you know, something about me being Gen Y. And this is how, you know, for a fact, I'm not Gen Y. I had to Google <laughs> what gen y is i was like what's gen y no that's that's um someone born yeah much yeah well i've already not in my generation i've already (laughs) forewarned the father i i I have i forewarned him i said uh there are no plans in the future for this this boy this this young man who is going to be very influenced. There are no plans for him to play soccer, is there? And he goes, well, he's like, like, well, you know, he can play anything that he wants. I said, no, yeah, any sport that he wants. I said, soccer is not a sport. It's hooliganism on grass. You can play soccer in the summer. No, we don't want that. And then you play, why? Why? It just conditions them for hockey. Because I want. I want my. You want them uh, to play hockey I in want, the summer? No, no. Hey, <laughs> we do. We. I know. No. All I'm. All I'm saying is this. Okay. All right. All I'm saying is this. I don't want my grandson to turn into a hooligan. Okay. Oh, That's wow. all soccer is full of is hooliganism and diving and crying. Don't need that. <laughs> Well, maybe like when they're adults, but as kids, they work really hard, and it's totally adorable. Yeah, and every time I drive by a soccer field to see children playing, I cry because I know their parents don't love them. <laughs> I cry inside. I die a little. All right, well, we can uh, we can agree to disagree on that. I think soccer's cool. Well, they're not super sporty and never was actually very – well, shock, right? But I actually never really was very sporty or enjoyed um, any sports. And then, you know, um, I wouldn't imagine. I mean, girls play sports too, obviously. But having a son really kind of jammed me into that world. Well, I get um, I get you. Just, I get you. Yeah. But I grew up in a family where if sport was religion, soccer is the antichrist. Okay. And I don't want my son, my grandson. Oh, it's like church for me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so <laughs> so I mean, you know, I don't, I don't okay. need. Okay, I, I understand yeah. now. <laughs> Just a horrible, horrible taste in my mouth, even saying that horrific word. And you know, with the World Cup and everything going on right now, it's even worse. Cup? It's even worse. Yeah, you know, the best part about the World Cup is it happens every four years. So I got three, well, three and a half yeah, years. Yeah, the of, men's World Cup yeah. happens every four years, and then the women. So it's like every two years. The women's World Cup is, I think, quite quite interesting to watch. They're not nearly as babyish. Oh, I, I agree. Women's soccer, I have because no, I have no problem with women's soccer. Obvious reasons. I really don't. <laughs> I really don't have have any problem with women's soccer. Those those ladies work their tails off. You know they do. It's incredible. All right, let, let, let's move on here because because my rant is over now. You know, yeah, and rant. 
Cut. Cut. Durant. All right. Soccer's <laughs> Next not, scene. Let's just remember, soccer's <laughs> not a sport. Okay. Next scene. All right. That's why they call it the beautiful game, because it's not a sport. Anyways, Immortals. Undead. Immortals. You know what? I, I'm going to be honest with you, Varla. We have talked about literally everything on this show over the last couple of years that we have been doing this. And every now and again, we get this power idea to talk about something that is absolutely amazing. There are very few topics on this planet that I really get geeked up for. All right. Yes, I'm a UFO guy. Yes, I'm a cryptid guy. And, you know, yes, I'm a paranormal guy. And I love all that stuff. Trust me, I do. But, there are a few subjects, three, to be a matter of fact. Telepathy, I would love mm. to learn telepathy because I think we can all do it. Number two, I believe there's time travelers here. I do. But number three, ever since I was a kid watching the Highlander movies, I've always wondered mm. if there are immortals walking on this planet. It's just one of those yeah. mysteries that I think is truly out there, that there are people who actually, you know, live a life of hell because they will never die. As much as I would like to be a an immortal because death absolutely fears me. But this whole immortal thing, uh, I'm just fascinated by it. Yeah, well, and actually, time travel and immortals could be very connected, right? Because if you, being immortal doesn't mean that you, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't die. It means that you come back to life, right? So there's, of course, like, you know, the Hindu belief in reincarnation um, and the like many lives that you go through and the cycles that you go through. And then you have like, you know, that's on one end of the spectrum, and then on the end, other end of the spectrum is modern medicine, which actually sustains the life of people who are otherwise, for all intents and purposes, dead. Um, and then you have everything in between. And so I think, like, um, just just to kind of kick off, because you mentioned this at the beginning of the show. So I had um, a spinal fusion. That's why I've been, like, not very able to walk or, um, you know, string together a intelligent sentence for a couple of months here but one of the things they do and this totally ties in one of the things they do is they actually use in order to get your bones to fuse around this like metal and all of these rods that they stick in your spine to kind of keep your vertebrae from cracking all over the place i had a few issues there but um one of the things that they do is they use some cadaver bone and they use a little of that and they mix it in with your own bone. And basically this cadaver bone, you know, helps your bone grow. And of course, you know, here's, you can imagine if you're a surgeon and Barla Ventura is your patient, right? I'm like, so can you tell me more about this cadaver bone process? And what's the, like, where, who is, who is my donor? Like, wh what's the cadaver situation? But it really amazes me because actually it's like, that part of like, you know, people always say, oh, you know, you had a donor and they, they kind of live on through you. But it, it actually is this kind of like super sci-fi way of resurrecting the dead. Because now 
that person's cells are growing inside of me. And there's only really one other time in my life when that's happened. And that's when I was pregnant. But like, there's someone's cells growing in my spine, you know, it's like, it's very, it's very trippy. So I think like, the idea of immortality is um, absolutely one of the more fascinating topics and probably the number one thing I think a lot of people think of with immortality uh, are vampires, right? Those are kind of like your go-to immortal vampire, um, followed by what? Zombies and then various forms of ghouls, necromancy, um, you know, forms of resurrecting the dead, for a variety of reasons. Well, you know, um, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I just, I think of the movie Highlander, and I know that's fiction. I do. I know that's fiction. But for some reason, I've always believed that there is a, a, a speck of truth in that, that somewhere maybe in the Vatican or in the catacombs of, of the Middle East that have survived decades of war, that there are some sort of of scripture to identify who these immortals are and you know i understand you know like yj in the chat room is saying you know we're all immortal we just get a different meat suit every number of years you know and and i can understand that i totally get that but for so, me i just i think of the movie and i'm like okay uh you know is it whose head are we gonna have to chop off to to keep our immortality going this week you know I yes mean, yes there's the there's the um uh sort of more philosophical immortality and then there's the like gruesome like sacrificial um blood drinking immortality right which is completely amazing um just that that is even a thing that we think of on a regular basis today as being you know I, I agree that any kind of like fiction is frequently has truth in it and that these ideas, I mean, I know this as a writer, you know, the ideas that you get come from conversations you have or stories you overhear or things that kind of like spark in your mind or whatever. And so, of course, there's always like some level of um, truth in that fiction and especially like science fiction or like, um, kind of you know gothic fiction or horror there's always some kind of playing with that idea but um it goes be well beyond like it goes back much further than the idea of um i mean honestly like we've been obsessed with immortality as soon as we realized we were mortal and one could argue like <laughs> one could argue that on you know on the one hand we are forever like waging a war against mortality just by the acts that we do that we want to be remembered by, whether that's on, you know, something that you're doing for your family or it's something that you're doing in terms of like creating art or um, some kind of like great work or a movie or whatever it is. These are all things that like in a way, right? Like um, interestingly, our most famous writer when it comes to vampires um, uh, Bram Stoker, he has become immortal through his own story about someone who is immortal. And now we talk about him as if he's in the room. And so there's a level of like really like kind of meta psychology going on there that I think can also um, 
be seen and applied to like a lot of folklore and not in an, in by any means to dismiss the folklore, but rather to understand it and kind of really like get to the point where you accept it. Um, and you see that in um, like the, do you know about the dark do? No. Fill me the dark do. Okay. So the dark do is like an Irish vampire legend that basically puts all vampire legends to shame. Like if you think that there's anything scary about Dracula and actually Dracula is quite charming. And remember Bram Stoker is Irish. So he's well versed in Irish folklore. Um, He's sort of running in the same circles as Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, right? Who's like totally into like ghosts and the paranormal and kind of trying to prove the existence, you know, he's the first, the ghost club, they're like the first ghost, you know, official um, ghost hunting uh, society. Um, so anyway, but the dark do is basically the, the legend is that this, it was a, a beautiful young woman, a beautiful young woman. And I believe she was from sort of kind of the Southern, the Southeastern part of Ireland, kind of around Waterford today. And she was just, incredibly beautiful and of fairly high class. Um, And of course she fell in love with like a farmer boy and they loved each other and they wanted to get married, but she could not marry him. She was, you know, forced to basically marry this chieftain and, you know, the chieftain, the, you know, equivalent of like the Irish Lord of the land, the chieftain was very, very cruel. He was a cruel man. He was cruel to her Um, You know, he's basically like she was in this, she was trapped in an abusive relationship. And so um, he ends up basically killing her. And um, in like this, there's various um, versions of it. Some of them are a little softer than others, but basically he, he kills her. And she, her, her true love comes to her grave every night and leaves roses and is just crying and he's so sad well he meanwhile the chieftain takes another wife and he's starting to be this episode is brought to you by smart food there are a bunch of ways to be smart during the holiday season getting the shopping done early not seeing your aunt next to your mom and snacking on smart food popcorn it's air pop popcorn tossed in delicious white cheddar cheese or sweet and salty kettle corn you are what you eat. Welcome to the Smart Club. Shop now at snacks.com. From skiing and riding to cozy gatherings by the fire, there are so many memories to share in the mountains. Visit Vale, Beaver Creek, Heavenly, and more world-class resorts. Book your stay at snow.com. Cruel to that wife. And the dark dew comes back to life. And so the fun, the fun part of it is that um, it's not because she wants to become her, you know, be with her, uh, her true love. It's strictly for revenge, which is just great. What a great reason to like resurrect yourself from the grave. So she basically gets the like some of the like dark powers of the Fae and she resurrects herself And she wreaks havoc on him. His life basically sends him to an early grave out of fear. But 
like any immortal being, she doesn't get to just climb back in her grave and go to sleep. You know, it's not like um, the zombie in Hocus Pocus where he gets to just like lay there. She actually is now because she's made that bargain to go ahead and come back to life, um, which was, you know, in her mind worth it. She is now doomed to sort of like roam the earth and she's still angry. She's angry at him. She's angry that, you know, she had to come back to life to take revenge. And she's angry that she can't now rest. And so that, like, she's very feared, appears as a beautiful woman in, um, you know, long black hair, but actually has, you know, blood all over her face and is just this very, very gruesome. She's one of the kind of first... Irish, one of the first vampires that we see in like written, oh, and actually oral and written folklore. Wow. And there's tons of, there's like tons of vampire mythology um, throughout Ireland. And even today, they are finding, um, they have excavated quite a few graves in Ireland that have, um, so people were buried in a specific way. And sometimes like there were, there was one like up in Sligo where the um, guy kind of looked like his neck had been broken. And then um, he had a rock crammed in his mouth. Um, and then there's other graves where the rock stones are shoved into the mouths and then stones are laid on top. And it was thought that basically like, the idea was that the soul came in and out of the mouth like that's actually. And so in order to keep the soul from like re-entering the world and, and resurrecting itself, they would cram these rocks in there. And then there's also like even in Italy, there's been graves excavated where like there was one of like a, a skeleton of a, of a woman and her she had a brick crammed into her mouth this was actually like made big news several years ago because oh my goodness. it was one of the yeah 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 <laughs> on that note we're going to get you to hold on right there because Varla Ventura is here talking about the undead immortals zombies do you think immortals are walking on the planet today hey we're going to find out Barlaventura.net is her website. You can find her books at any major bookstore. Yes, they still exist. Spaced Out Radio continues right after this. I just got to go check on my boy. I'll be right back, okay? Yep, I'm going to stretch my um, bionic back. Okay, I'll take you out here for a second. Or do, you, you. or do you want? Or do you want to? Uh, no, I, I don't really want people to see me stretching my right. back. I can... There you go. You're out. Be right back.
So sorry about that. Brandon Blount, how you doing? <clears throat> Eyes wide open, nice to see you. Lee Lovelight, welcome to SOR chat. Hmm. You know what's really cool? Oh, there's Varley. I'm back. You know what's really cool is I go upstairs, and here's my boy, three quarters of the way asleep, listening to some Christmas meditation. Oh my god. that's so cute oh yeah he loves that's so cute he's just like thinking about christmas and all the presents he's gonna get not having to go to school and play in the snow Uh, and (laughs) oh so sweet hi sabilla Irwin. how are you and yeah no he uh he goes to bed every night with meditation that's a good idea sometimes we do like a hybrid with like ocean sounds and stuff yeah. like that and it always sounds kind of cheesy at first but it actually like really really works to help my son get to sleep because he's a thinker yeah my, my, my guy so too fluffy. it's hard to believe yeah, yours, thinker, is a, so... yours is a thinker considering he's a goalie uh... yeah that's all he does is think constantly thinks constant head in the game playing the angles man yeah I guess you gotta so. be you gotta be like you know intelligent enough to know that it's not going to hurt you we got to get him a <laughs> we're going to have to start a gofundme so he can get a fa- uh, his mask painted yeah i know well the problem is though when they are growing they need a new i know mask every so you just get those you probably gotten those wraps you can get yeah. those wraps for their helmets that are yeah. like yeah you use the dryer and they never yeah. they're a little bit buckled but your kid is thrilled <laughs> yeah I hear you there. I hear you there. (laughs) I watched my I watched my son this year. The beginning of the hockey season, all his gear fit, everything fit. I just had to buy him new skates. And now he's grown about two inches since the hockey season started. (laughs) And now he next year he'll need new shin pads, new elbow pads. Oh yeah, he just went through all that. Yeah, Yeah. and our our association actually gives like the goalies the goalie gear, like the pads and the blockers. They give those to you, and then you just basically like return them, and then you. um, But because those are quite expensive. But once they kind of get to like, you know, he's out of mites now yeah. or out of squirts now, he's like the next level. They don't really. Oh, I know. Hold on one second. Well, your son is two years younger than mine, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hold on. Thank yeah. you to Thomas Times 2, W. Decker Times 2, and Lori for the amazing super chats. It's a wonderful way to support what we do. Here we go. Next half hour. Second half hour of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears. I want to remind you that if you've missed portions of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. 
Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Author extraordinaire Varla Ventura is here, and she loves it when she comes on, and our audience loves it when she comes on once every month for our cryptid world. Yes, Varla is one of the best when it comes to writing about all things cryptic and supernatural, along with paranormal as well. VarlaVentura.net, you can find all of her books in any major bookstore. I did have one quick question. Normally, I don't take questions till hour number two, but this one is from Mike Varla, and he's wondering if your books are available in Canada. Yes, absolutely. So any, like, they're on Amazon Canada, any local bookstore. I know they're in the Barnes & Noble up there, and all the independent bookstores. If they're not in-store, they should be able to order them because they're in print, and there's a Canadian um, distributor. So they should be widely available. So, yeah, and they're all, they're, they are all miraculously still in print. There's a bunch of ebooks, so you know that can be kind of confusing. So I did this whole ebook series that are like Kindle only, but um, I have six physical books um, that are still in print. It's just like immortality in its own way. <laughs> it's all about immortality. Your books will go on forever. Your books. Forever that people people will forever read them and critique them, and I will never. Never sleep. Well, let, let me ask you this. Let's kick off. We were talking about immortals right before the break, and I want to continue that conversation because it absolutely intrigues me. All right. Do you think that there are immortal humans walking on this planet right now? I mean, I can't. I want to say yes. You know, I really want that to be a thing. And I, because I am a supernaturalist by practice, I can't rule anything out. And one thing that I have learned, you know, writing all these different books and talking to people and being on your show and talking with your audience and just like being part of the community, I have really begun to see parallels between what once was and what is happening now and different like words for those things and different ways of describing them. And so I feel like that applies to just about like any creature I can think of. Um, but immortality. So it's a little different because we're talking about something that at some point was human, right? Because I guess you could be supernatural, a supernatural being, but most of the immortality stories start with somebody who is a natural born human that has some kind of, you know, cataclysmic or accidental event that um, that creates them as this immortal being, um, or that at least appears as a immortal human being from the from the outside. And we see that with vampires. Um, yeah, like in Highlander, there's totally like the immortals, right? And that's like the whole thing is that they, they, when they find each other, it's actually kind of a bad thing when they find each other. Um, whereas with vampires, you kind of get the feeling that there's like, oh, yeah, we're part of the club, but mostly we're solitary. But, you know, there's all, all kinds of um, uh, variations on that. Um, one of the freakiest movies, have you ever seen Let the Right One In? came out years no. ago. And I... I can't remember if it was Finnish or um, 
one of the other I cannot I can't remember it might have been a Swedish movie but anyway it involved a child vampire and it was told in this way that was based on an old like an old folk tale about these children and it totally reminded me of black eyed children like these children that show up and they look they're on the edge of the woods or whatever and they look just like regular children and you feel bad for them until you get like a really solid look at them and then they have something like slightly off about them so the children might look like really raggedy and have these strange canines um or you know like in the case of the black eyed children their eyes are black and totally creepy so there's 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 actually quite a few like kind of creepy immortal child things in folklore which is like kind of goes in that category of like you know dolls or something <laughs> it's just like kind of that it's like dolls clowns and like children who come back to life those are all like particularly horrifying things but oh, no you kidding. know i mean <laughs> no kidding they're really yeah it's like you know there's terror and then there's like a terror um like you'll never know and the idea that you can bury somebody or use a ritual or necromancy or magic to resurrect someone and bring them back to life. Um, you know, we tend to think of zombies as being explicitly adults, but that's not, not always the case, at least not in like folklore and literature. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in theory, like at what, Pet cemetery, right? Anything could be brought back to life. And that makes it particularly, particularly strange because I think we just, um, I guess we think that there's a certain level of impossibility, but all magic actually has, is very grounded in reality. And anyone who's ever had something kind of coincidental happen, you know, like two things at the same time, there's just times when like, there's a lot of synchronicity. Um, they can attest that there's, you mentioned telepathy and, and people being able to learn telepathy. And it's absolutely like all of those psychic abilities are learned abilities. Um, but those kind of like supernatural things, I guess my point just being like, it's not as far of a leap as one might think um you know there's a lot of very disturbing creatures out out there now i think in terms of immortality i tend to think more in the like sort of creatures of the night things that are sort of roaming the the forests and the city streets looking for their next victim like that kind of more supernatural creature um but again, the origins are, or the appearance is generally human. And the origins are usually a human being, such as the Derek Du, who has a reason to come back to life, right? She had a very good reason. It was revenge. I mean, I would totally come back to life for revenge. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm honestly not a harm none person, <laughs> Well, when it, when it comes to when it does come, just so you know, okay, yeah. in Vegas, just remember that. Uh, okay, yes, uh, Varla Ventura now not appearing at our Vegas party. No, 
well, no, I'm officially uh, missing in action. I'm teasing there. And uh, I do want to ask you, though. You Bring know, your own Lancet. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> with with far. Immortals and Immortality, <laughs> as I try to steer the ship back on course here, <laughs> uh, do you look at uh, Immortality on a human level being more biblical than it is human? No, not necessarily, but there's certainly the original, zo- maybe not the original zombie story, because the original zombie story is based in an African uh, religion, but the, um, you know, Jesus's resurrection like, I'm sorry, that is a zombie story. Either that or it's a story of someone who had a really, really intense disease and everybody thought he was dead and then he came back to life. Regardless, you know, that's the most common zombie story told today. It's told religiously. <laughs> I mean, it really is, right? So, and and the idea is basically that he came back to life after whatever, three days or however long it was. Um Sorry, I don't know my Bible that well because I'm a heathen. Um, but, you know, there's, <laughs> there's, there's a, absolutely the idea that a, a, a person can come back to life. And then by coming back to life, he didn't just come back to life as his regular person, right? It was like now he was this exalted being. That is the exact origin of, you know, countless zombie, immortal, vampire type creatures out there is that kind of a was human and then something happened and um, (laughs) and then, you know, now I'm a now I'm a zombie. But then we can also talk about zombies a little bit because they they are really the original immortals and they're they're pretty interesting. Are they they really? Yeah. Let's go. You don't think zombies are interesting? Okay, let's go. All right. So um, a lot of, so what we think of, let's just qualify this. What we think of as zombies today, we certainly have um, movies to thank for that. In particular, one of the first zombie movies that came to Western culture if you will, but that came to North America and was widely played in cinemas, starred Bella Lugosi, and it was actually called White Zombie. That's where the band got their name. And it was about, it was set in Haiti. And of course, there's countless issues with this movie. Um, certainly the the representation of the kind of voodoo priest and all that is just very like kind of extreme and stereotypical. But as we've talked about before, especially we've talked about this in terms of werewolves and the kind of people who were traveling around and recording what they were seeing um, with a lot of these supernatural creatures, with werewolves, with vampires, with even with witches, with folklore, with zombies, you had people who were absolutely, um, you know, they had a very specific perspective, a very privileged and um, usually uh, Christian-based perspective. And that's why they were they were educated and they could read and write and they would travel around and they would see things that were way outside of their spectrum. There's even a story that um, the, a guy that traveled with Christopher Columbus, I was reading about this earlier, like there was a guy that traveled with Christopher Columbus, whose name I've totally forgotten right now. 
but he made some recordings about some um, zombie practices in the what are now known as the Caribbean islands. So you have people who are from, you know, quote unquote, a, you know, a, a very like specific kind of like civilized society or whatever. And they this episode is brought to you by Smart Food. There are a bunch of ways to be smart during the holiday season. Getting the shopping done early, not seeing your aunt next to your mom, and snacking on Smart Food popcorn. It's Air Pop popcorn tossed in delicious white cheddar cheese or sweet and salty kettle corn. You are what you eat. Welcome to the Smart Club. Shop now at snacks.com. From skiing and riding down perfectly groomed slopes to cozy gatherings by the fire. There are so many memories to share in the mountains. Come for a quick getaway or plan an extended stay at Vail, Beaver Creek, Heavenly, and more world-class resorts. Book your stay at snow.com. Go into like these other places and they're like, oh man, you know, I mean, this is what is responsible for genocide, quite frankly, in North America was like this fear of the unknown. Now, all of that aside, um, so the zombie practice, which was um, originally an African religion and part of that sort of voodoo religion that came to Haiti and from, you know, came to the Caribbean and from there sort of made its way into especially like the southern United States, like, you know, New Orleans, Louisiana, right? This idea of necromancy is essentially what it is, right? It's the resurrection or the capture of a person's kind of like soul so that you will never die, but it's not like, yay, I'm a vampire and I'm going to fly through the night and like, yay, I'll never die. And I'm always going to look beautiful. It's like, you are forever enslaved. And it had a couple of like very significant, like there was one of the reasons that that was a story that was widely told was as a cautionary ex, you know, like um, protest against enslavement of other human beings. Um, also it was like the greatest threat because what do we value more than anything? Our freedom. And so if we then become this enslaved zombie that this voodoo practitioner or general necromancer is messing around with. Okay. Now there are things that are used even today that, that are said to be able to. So one of the things you could like basically, Conjure up a zombie, and then you could basically make the zombie do your bidding. And that included, like, killing someone for you, stalking someone for you. Um, wasn't necessarily, like, housework, you know? It wasn't like, hey, come, you know, do my dishes. It was more like revenge. Again, we have this kind of uh, regular theme. Right. Frequently, immortality and revenge go hand in hand. Isn't that nice? It's no coincidence. <laughs> it's no nice? coincidence. Well, so I, yeah, no, go ahead. Well, you, you know, the whole zombie thing, the reason why I'm intrigued by it is I just introduced my, my son last weekend to zombie land. Okay. Probably mm-hmm. not. The- oh, oh, with Woody Harrelson. Yeah. Isn't, doesn't, oh yeah. I love, 
Oh, see, this is what happens when, like, Mama goes away. You're like, hey, you're old enough for Zombieland. I mean, it's a fairly tame Well, outside of the language, it's pretty tame, right? The language is a little bit... Oh, the language. I'm sure he hears worse if you drop something on your toe. I figure he plays hockey, so... He plays hockey, exactly. He's going to hear it. He's going to hear it. You know, that's okay. (laughs) I'm... I'm I'm that kind of dad. I mean, you know, if he trust me, if if he was playing soccer, we would have watched Anne of Green Gables like all the other bo- boys and girls <laughs> who play soccer. Come on now, don't dog on Anne with an E. Oh yeah. <laughs> don't you start on Anne with an E? <laughs> hey, I'm not starting on that. All I'm saying is, you know. So, anyways, getting back to the, uh, getting back to it. Uh, you know, so. Anyways, I introduced him to zombies, and, you know, is that, like, when you look at the movies, the zombies are all bloody and gory and, you know, hungry for human flesh. Is that just the mainstream zombie, or is that something different from what a real zombie would would be like? So... I mean, there's definitely extremely gruesome depictions of zombies, um, even in like painting and and early folklore, um, especially when you're talking about like the Haitian kind of the the use. I mean, that's really where the word zombie comes from. Um, And it's because the people were dead. Right. Or like severely, severely wounded. Right. So you didn't just. And, and also people who like the people who were vulnerable to be zombies were not like, you know, uh, little, little grandma's grave that you, everybody went to and laid flowers on. It was like some member of society that was either forgotten or sort of looked down upon and therefore was like vulnerable to these practices. Now, clearly we know a lot more about, medicine today you know and and the and human anatomy and diseases and we also know that there were tons and tons and tons of premature burials back in the day and so that idea that you could resurrect someone also has it the its roots in you know a a shallow grave where someone literally could sit up but they may be extremely diseased and very easy to command add to that the um the, you know, believable and supernatural phenomenon of ritual magic, which has a lot of power. It has a lot of power. Again, I will cite the Bible, right? Like, like ritual magic, like going to church and everybody praying together is ritual magic. Don't tell them I told you that. But like, it is, right? Like, it totally is a form of, uh, uh, like-minded thought and ritual and so if that can resurrect someone and and actually you know cause healing and spontaneous speaking in tongues and all those things there's absolutely no reason to discount that um you know the use of ritual magic even if it's not for a, a quote a good purpose like there's no rule that says that magic has to be for for the good like, you'd like to think that most people aren't out there trying to, like, curse one another. But, you know, there's unscrupulous folks out there. I mean, you know, you got Wall Street to contend with. So there's obviously, like, plenty of plenty of cursing and such going on. 
I'm not going to speak to what I know about cursing personally, but I, you'll just have to take my word for it. Okay. Varlaventura.net <laughs> is Varla's website. If you want to find any of her books, we've got about four minutes left before we need to go to break here at the top of the hour. Varla, you know, when we look at zombies, uh, you know, coming back to life, you know, are they soulless? Like who's controlling them? How do they know? The practitioner is controlling them. Okay, but so like what we think of as kind of the more modern zombies, like a lot of that comes into like the whole idea of the zombification of the brain through a disease where they are actually uh, sort of alive, but like roaming the earth. And actually we've seen some pretty creepy things in nature to indicate that that could happen, such as zombie ants that basically like, um, you know, they can kind of uh, lay their eggs in their, um, you know, in their prey. And then they sort of like hatch out of that. And it's there's stuff that's like there's plants that can that can resurrect after, you know, 300 years. They can spring back to life. With just a little water, like actual, you know, plants from 300 years ago or more from like a completely different um a completely different time. So there, there's actually a lot of like scientific evidence to suggest that immortality does exist. I mean, they've, they've found trees and mushrooms that are actually, there've been studies that some of the mushrooms are much older than people think. And there's like this, this whole mile wide, uh, you know, interwoven talking fungi thing going on that is just, a, you know, has its own weird you know, following, but I guess there's just there's just a lot of scientific evidence to show that immortality can can exist and that people can or that creatures can prey upon one another. So soulless, I don't know. I don't know what ha- you know. I, I don't know what happens to the soul, but the body is certainly present, and there's some degree of understanding of like commands and stuff. So, but you know, is it the person that? You know, a zombie Varla, the the same person as real Varla. Only time will tell. <laughs> I I don't want to see zombie Varla. That just mm. that just uh, trips me out a little bit. Trips- but here's the thing: would I even know? Like, would I know if I was resurrected from the dead? Would I know? Like, would I be conscious of that? Would I just be like, oh, okay, now I'm, everybody's going to carry me around on a little little card in their pocket and ask of me for guidance occasionally? Well, that's what we do, right? That's what we yeah. do. And, yeah. you know, hey, it works. we got to do it. It works for us. It totally works for us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It does. And that's what I'm saying. There's a lot of power in that, like, ritual magic. And so ritual magic used to resurrect a soul i mean it's not a it's not actually a huge leap and a lot of people do actually practice sort of a variation on that which would be you know necromancy and that's involving working with the dead but not necessarily in like a physical capacity so you're more kind of working with the spirits and ghosts versus um you know conjuring up a a a zombie but yeah i mean i guess they're soulless Wow. The damn soulless. <laughs> Got to watch out for them. The damn. <laughs> Got to watch out for them. Well, when we continue the chat, 
when we return after the break here at the top of the hour. We're going to get into vampires. We're going to get into the whole subject of immortals again. And, of course, your questions as well. Maybe a little black-eyed kids. Are they immortal? What else is immortal out there? We'll find out as we talk about the undead with our guest tonight, Varla Ventura. She is a renowned author, published. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I, I struggled with renowned on that. I'm something. <laughs> yes, you are. Yeah, you are. She's dangerous, people. She is dangerous. She don't, don't ever get in her bad side. She may come back as a zombie. Get you back. Yeah. MarlaVentura.net is her website. We'll return for hour number two right after this on Spaced Out Radio. Stay tuned. All right, we are clear. I gotta go cool. run. Up. I gotta go run up and check on my boy. Yes, you do. <clears throat> I'll be right back. Okay. Do you want me to take you okay. out, or do you want? Yeah, take me out. Take me out. Okay. Yeah. Thank you.
Alright, sorry about that, guys. Alright, sorry about that, guys. Just had to make sure my boy was fast asleep. There's Varley Venture A. How we doing, Varley? You're on mute. You muted yourself. Still great. <laughs> <clears throat> Wonderful. Still great. Wonderful. Still great. <laughs> All right. Hi, Pine Island. How you doing, man? Good to have you here. Who else has showed up here? 737. Good to see you. And Polar Eclipse. No, I didn't have to pinch a loaf. Uh, my my son and I are home alone for a couple of weeks here, so I have to make sure, like during the breaks, first couple of breaks, I got to go upstairs and just check on him and see how he's doing. And he's fast asleep, so. I do that too, Dave. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those parenting things you need to do. Like, and look, wait, if I just, let's see if I move right. this up a little bit, my ledge in my basement would match your ledge. Look at that. Nice. See? Lined up. But it's down a little low. Nice. Robert Lamoth, how are you doing, buddy? Good to have you here. And uh, anybody else? Susie B, nice to see you. And we're all caught up. Hey, TMI, how you doing, buddy? All right, big thank you to Pam, Lori, W. Decker times two, Thomas times two, <clears throat> uh, for the Super Chats. Very much appreciate it. Here comes the second hour, everyone. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio. And on Facebook, Spaced Out Radio Show. Hour number two of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, at KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davy the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Saculum. Saculum is your password. Use it wisely, Space Travelers, as the Clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. We continue on tonight with Varla Ventura, author extraordinaire, who joins us once a month for Our Cryptid World as we talk about the darker side of the paranormal and supernatural with Varla. Tonight, it's all about immortals, whether it's zombies, humans, vampires, maybe even sprinkle in a little black-eyed kids. 
Yeah, we're going to get to it. Varlaventura.net is her website. You can find all of her books right across any major bookstore or on Amazon. Varla, welcome back. Oh, thank you. Yes. So great to be here. I like it. You so know, why do you laugh here every, again? Why do you laugh every time I mention your website? Because you always say like .net in this way that just makes it just makes me smile. Okay, so most people have .com. I realize that I have .net. .com has gone down in value a little. Um, it was five grand a few years ago. Now varlaventura.com, I've lost significant value. Now I'm six. It's sixteen hundred bucks. I'm just not willing to pay that. So I'm varlaventura.net. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I'll take it as a compliment. <laughs> All right. Let, before we get to some audience questions here, let's talk about black-eyed kids. All right. Ooh, okay. These are creepy so, children, creepy. usually around between the ages of eight and eighteen. They always want to come into your house. They always want to use your phone. Yep. They always want to go into your office or someplace private. For people who may your not car. have heard of them, tell us about black-eyed kids. Yeah, I mean, black-eyed kids are, like, a relatively new reported phenomenon, right? Like, relatively new in the cryptid world. I want to say the last 20 years. Um, The late Rosemary Ellen Guiley did a lot of research on black-eyed kids, and she was doing that, you know, 10, 15 years ago when... I remember that's when I first started hearing about black eyed kids and I began to wonder immediately. Okay. So basically what you said is, is the, you know, the description, like they're kids, they come and knock on your door. They look like kids until you look. This episode is brought to you by smart food. There are a bunch of ways to be smart during the holiday season, getting the shopping done early, not seeing your aunt next to your mom, and snacking on smart food popcorn. It's air pop popcorn tossed in delicious white cheddar cheese or sweet and salty kettle corn. You are what you eat. Welcome to the Smart Club. Shop now at snacks.com. From skiing and riding to cozy gatherings by the fire, there are so many memories to share in the mountains. Visit Vale, Beaver Creek, Heavenly, and more world-class resorts. Book your stay at snow.com. A little, you know, just give them a, a, good, a good solid look and their eyes are completely like dark. Like they just, they're, they don't have any, they don't have an iris or anything like that. Um, and so it kind of just makes them look like extra creepy. So, you, you know, the story is that if you invite them in, you're basically like inviting them into your you know, across your threshold and therefore they can, if, if they're ghosts, they, they haunt you. But otherwise, like, I think they're kind of more considered a supernatural phenomenon that will bring you like harm, ill luck or complete time slip. Time slip is like a big association. So there's also stories of people seeing them walk along the side of the road and being worried, like, what are these kids doing and pulling over? Um, and there are a few stories in early folklore and it kind of, I kind of got into this when I was researching changelings, which are, um, babies that have been swapped at birth with something from the other world, the fairy world. And so your baby, your human baby's taken away and this fairy baby is raised by humans in, in exchange. And, um, I started to wonder if that 
had a connection to black eyed kids as if like, you know, if you're a fairy living in the human world, you're just going to kind of like grow and be this crazy, like, um, creature that seems a little off, but mostly seems to fit in. But if you're a human that's been sort of trapped in that other world, particularly as a child, would you then be able to kind of like slip in and out of like time portals and stuff and like totally freak people out? So I don't know. You know, there's a lot of theories about what black eyed kids are. I I see a lot of connections in folklore, but that's, you know, that's I kind of can't help but do that. Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of what black eyed kids are. And then, you know, what, what do they have to do with immortality is kind of another story. Because if they really are once upon a time human, humans that are cursed, I think a lot of people think they may be shapeshifters. And that I, I could totally see that, that they're shapeshifters appearing in a form that is a, um, something that we would um, be sympathetic toward. If there's some kind of off-planet shape shifter, that's another strong theory. And they're appearing, um, trying to get into our households. Because it's always like knocking on the door, trying to get into your house in some way. Um, there's lots and lots and lots of stories and folklore going back, you know, a, a thousand years or more about not inviting these creatures across the, um, you know, your, your into across the threshold, right. Into your home. And in fact, that's where you lay the salt to repel them, or you put the little amulet at your doorstep because once they cross into that threshold, you kind of don't have as much control, um, over what they do. So yeah, very, very understanding with that. I mean, have you ever seen one yourself or know of no. anybody who has seen them? Uh, just, just sort of peripherally, like people calling in, like when I've been on coast to coast or something and someone calling in and describing, um, describing that in conversation. In fact, I was on there one time with Rosemary Ellen Guiley, who was like kind of the authority on that. But then I was like chiming in with like the change, my changeling theory, <laughs> And somebody called in and kind of talked about that. And then we connected offline and kind of um, developed a, you know, weirdo friendship or whatever. So, but I, not myself, I've never, I've never seen one. And I don't know how I would react because there's this huge part of you is like, you know, what would what would you do like there's this you know i'm a mom i'm just like what are they, what's wrong with these poor kids and then you probably invite them in before it's too late and then i don't know then then what you're sucked into a vortex forever and your own children are, are left to fend for themselves i mean that's worst yeah. case scenario my my good friend jake rice <laughs> uh he's a paranormal investigator just outside of seattle and he actually had his gate buzzed in the middle of the day and he lives in, oh. you know, he lives on a rural road. He's got five dogs and his dogs were barking feverishly at, at his fence. And he walked over there, saw a, a young man there, young teenager in a hoodie. And the guy's like, can I borrow your phone? And, and he's like, well, you know, what are you doing around here? He goes, I just need to get a, I need to get a ride. Can I borrow your phone? And 
<clears throat> long story short, Jake said, well, what's the number? I will, I will call the number for you. Mm. And, the, and the kid wouldn't give up the number. And then all of a sudden the kid just kind of walked, as Jake said, the kid just kind of looked like he walked away. Well, when he went and checked the security cameras on his driveway, he could see the dog barking, could see him there that he's talking to someone, and there was nothing of the kid. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's freaky. It's all on video. That's freaky. All on video. Yeah, because then that kind of, you know, the idea of it being able to create or them or whatever they are, like being able to kind of manifest in this like physical form but then not actually show up on any kind of technology or anything like that. And I think, you know, there's some of those stories of like, um, you know, I picked up this hitchhiker and this creepy thing happened. And I wonder if that, those are like the early versions of this kind of, you know, the, the black eyed kid type stories. Yeah. I don't know how I'd react to one. I mean, you know, I've only ever heard of one story where somebody let them in and they kind of barged their way in and the guy went uh, went limp and collapsed on the floor. Nothing was robbed from his house or anything. But what is supposed to happen if if the black eyed if you do let the black eyed children in? I don't entirely know what would happen like in the long run, but usually the, the, I, the fear and the reporting is a a lapse in um, time and memory, which I have also come to believe that, some of the very early, in particular, you see this a lot in Celtic folklore, but you see it throughout the world where a person like falls asleep on the fairy mound or is sort of enticed by a little creature into, um, you know, a place like a magical place. And it looks wonderful and you're enticed and then you kind of you lose this sense of time. So this kind of almost seems like a a. a, a uh, darker and perhaps more aggressive version of something like that. Um, but from my understanding, people don't quite like there's a confusion. There can be like a lot, a, a lack of memory, um, you know, you, passing out and then not knowing what time it is and not really be able to explain it. And then of course, like there's all kinds of theories, like if they are off planet, are they leaving something behind you know, the whole like um, implant theory. Very true. So very true. Uh, All right. Let's get to some audience questions here and let's start off with, uh, let's go with, uh, let's see. We already kind of asked Mike's question about the black eyed kids being immortal, which you think they Mm. are. All right. Mm. Let's go dark protocol. What's Mm. Varla's thoughts? Varla being you. On Disney's portrait of the fairy world, whereas the true reality sounds like complete opposite. Well, you know, it it really is the complete opposite. Um, a lot of what we have for fairy and folklore is definitely based on some pretty creepy stuff that was Disneyfied. I mean, 
Disney branded everything. And one of the things they did is they took creepy but classic, very um, appealing storylines that usually dealt with good and evil and with the good try they the good always triumphed in the end and you know the the creatures were drawn in a less menacing or more attractive way um and you see this from like you know snow white uh, all the way up to the little mermaid is a great example the real story of the little mermaid is incredibly bloody and gruesome it involves like a vicious sacrifice on the part of this you know supernatural creature which is the mermaid to be able to walk on dry land her um every step she takes are like daggers on her feet and her feet are bloody from walking on the beach and she's doing this all to sort of be with her one true love so you know disney latched on and i'm not saying this in, in a bad way like you know, disney can be really fun but they la like you know walt disney in particular latched on some really classic and i'll bring also public domain stories right like these stories are as old as time so we can just keep retelling them any way we want and we can make the creature look any way we want it to and so there's like some you know branding and um you know great enterprise happening there but it's definitely not the case and um whereas most fairy and folk tales um served as most fairy tales once served as cautionary tales to keep kids from wandering into the bog and drowning or from, you know, burning themselves on the fire or from falling into the ocean and being pulled out by rip currents. Um, you know, they became joyful things and that's not a bad thing because the stories are kept alive and they're just kept alive for a different audience. But in reality, the real fairy kingdom and a lot of what we, what we know as like the classic fairy kingdom is based on Irish folklore, really like a lot of it. Like you can find all the origins are of all those stories. I mean, the, the Irish are known for being amazing storytellers and it's because they have a long, long history of telling stories. In fact, the, the fairy folk themselves were once in battle with mortal men and went underground to hide um, because they were losing this war. And it was actually like the sea God who gave them this cloak of invisibility that they can appear to some people, some of the time, but not all the people all the time. So the Disney version is shiny and pretty and um, try as they might. It's pretty far from the um, gruesome reality of many of these tales um, as they were originally told. One of my favorite, actually, if you want to hear some good fairy tales. There's an Irish podcast called Candlelit Tales. And they actually are um, storytellers that are based in Ireland. That is a brother and sister. And you can go, if you're there, um, you can go and you can listen to them do, like they do live performances. But they pivoted to a podcast during the pandemic because all their live shows were closed down. And so... Um, they retell these stories, but like they actually somehow get even creepier in the in, in the way that they tell them. But it's really a great way to understand the very complex mythology and like um, fairy system in in Ireland is to just kind of like hear the tales kind of told in a modern way that isn't um, isn't shiny. You know, they, those those stories come with a disclaimer. 
You may not be able to sleep at night. This is not appropriate for children. (laughs) (laughs) No kidding. Marla Ventura (laughs) is our guest tonight on Spaced Out Radio. Let's go to another question here. Uh, Penny is asking, Varla, do you know about the Florida zombie case, real case of a man eating and murdering another man caught on traffic camera? Didn't he uh, gnaw that guy's face off? Yes, and I believe he was on bath salts. As I recall, he was um, totally strung out on the, like, world's cheapest methamphetamine. And I absolutely remember this. It was a number of years ago this happened, and I remember this because actually at the time worked at a plant nursery, um, and I worked with this really strange but wonderful man who came in and was like, did you hear about the guy who tried to chew the other guy's face off? And I was like, what? No, I need to know about that. So we looked it up, you know, on the break on the like one computer in the in the back. And he laughed and laughed and read me the story about this guy who, I mean, it's not funny at all. It's totally horrifying. And um, I mean, bath salts are a real issue, but they were kind of at their, their um, apex then, like really um, dry, they, they eat your brain and they make you delusional and they make you do things. For some reason, they make you crave human flesh. So, well, yeah. I don't get it. I no, don't get it. I mean, only Florida like... man. Only Florida man does that. <laughs> There's a lot of fun stories that come out of Florida, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I mean, Key West true. is like an amazing, amazing place. And it's such a representation of many different aspects of Floridian culture. From, you know, pirateering to like, you know, modern fishermen. It's, it's quite, it's quite a, a fantastic place. Oh, so, my goodness. Yeah. My goodness. Good old Florida. Good old Florida, (laughs) man, to follow it up. Isn't that true? (laughs) Isn't that true? Uh, Raz is asking a little risque question here. Why are vampires, do vampires and sex go together? It's a shortened version. Why vampires and sex? Yeah. Well, I, um, I have theories about this because I have always believed that you know, we view werewolves in a very sympathetic way, um, but we view vampire, we lust after the vampire. Um, we lust after the immortality. And there's a ton of reasons, right? There's the physical, the physical idea that somebody is like biting into your neck and biting into your flesh. And keep in mind that a lot of these stories that were told in like, retold in literature such as Bram Stoker's Dracula like that was a time when about all you'd see was a neck you know so that was like this kind of big deal we're talking like Victorian times it's like oh you can't show an ankle but you know um so the idea of like the you know any kind of like giving of the flesh plus let's throw in the blood like there's basically something incredibly deeply emotional about blood, right? When we see blood, um, we think about blood when we donate blood. Um, if you see another person's blood, like all of these things evoke a very emotional response. And, um, you know, I'm really not ragging on Christians here, but there's some blood drinking in, in some of the Catholic, you know, um, ritual right so there's this idea of blood being this very very sacred and yet also taboo thing right so 
also keep in mind that when some of these vampire stories really started to take off, and you can really thank Bram Stoker for it, but there were other vampire stories being told um, in a more modern way that we think of vampires today. Around this time, you were talking about a time when grave robbing was really, really common, in particular to... um, you know, for doctors to learn or for medical students to learn human anatomy. And um, so there's the idea that you're sort of like, you know, pulling this body out and you're draining all of its fluids and then you're pulling it open and you're looking at all of its parts and then you're documenting it. And that was all super underground. Like you weren't supposed to do that because it was against the church to practice a lot of this kind of like modern medicine and so the idea of that like immortal vampire was also kind of like rolling out of that um you know the whole idea of like the vampire you know like dracula sits up in his coffin very slowly with his arms crossed across his chest in that like signature pattern and then you had the version of nosferatu doing the same thing well uh, people didn't know what rigor mortis was but if you pop open like a, you know, fresh grave, which you know has got like a ruby ring in it or something, rigor mortis is set in. People were laid to rest with their arms across their chest. You pop it open and this creature comes rising out of the coffin. Now you're not going to stick around, right? You're just paid like, you know, tuppence to basically like get this body to the to the medical school so you're just gonna go run out of there and then you know you scream vampire <laughs> oh very true so. very true that's not gonna happen hey we have one <laughs> half hour left with you tonight there Barla it Venture. it's already gone by you know Seriously. and and uh yeah I, i'm i kind of look at our calendar here because next month i don't know if you'll be appearing before or after Christmas. You're after Christmas. After Christmas. It's going to be weird. So weird. So weird. VarlaVentura.net, her website. Get all of her books at any major bookstore. Varla Ventura's Our Cryptid World, heard monthly here on Spaced Out Radio. We continue with Varla right after this. Right, we're good. Yeah, cool. Um, yes. When am I coming on again? 28th. Let's look at this. Let's look at the 28th. calendar. Yeah, twenty eighth. That's that's fine. Unless you want me to come on before Christmas and talk about creepy Christmas creatures. Well, we can do that. It's. I mean, like I'm. I'm uh, available. Pretty much. Anytime between wait the twenty eighth of December that's a Monday. Hold on, I'm looking at my calendar here. December twenty two, no, uh, December twenty ninth. That's a Thursday. You're looking at a twenty twenty one calendar. I am not. Yeah, you are. I am. <laughs> I was looking at November. <laughs> okay, wait, December twenty ninth. Yeah, yeah, that's totally that's totally fine. But if you'd like, I we can talk about this off air but i can also come before christmas like the thursday before i'm available either so yeah. i'm totally do you want to do well open. do you want to do the 22th or do you want to do the 29th yeah. 
I can do the 22th if you want to do creepy Christmas stuff. Yeah, let's let's do that. I got lots of creepy Christmas creep cryptids, and we've never done that before. All right. Uh, Have we? No, no we've never I, done that I'm pu- before. I'm putting you in. Okay. Var- Varley Venture A. December 22nd. Creepy Christmas. Yeah, it'll be like totally that'll cute. be fun we can do a christmas special that'll yeah no fun. that'll be really fun we've never done that before and um i got uh, like plenty of disturbing christmas stories for nice. you and the audience yeah i mean uh-huh why why just make it merry when you could make it scary <laughs> that's gonna be our tagline from skiing and riding down perfectly groomed slopes to cozy gatherings by the fire. There are so many memories to share in the mountains. Come for a quick getaway or plan an extended stay at Vale, Beaver Creek, Heavenly, and more world-class resorts. Book your stay at snow.com. Shop sustainable luxury denim and more with Redone at shopredone.com. Redone makes vintage-inspired jeans, tees, and clothing by combining old-school silhouettes with new, innovative sustainability. Like upcycling classic vintage Levi's into brand-new contemporary fits in rigid and stretch fabrics. They also do recycled t-shirts, upcycled sweatshirts, clogs, boots, and more with less water and chemicals for reduced environmental impact. This week only, save 30% site-wide at shopredone.com. Some exclusions may apply. Okay. Right. I just put Dave. That's what I put. I just put all day Dave, Dave on my calendar. That Dave, that's all you need in Dave. life. That's all that's I mean. All that's all. I think you're my only Dave, honestly. Uh, Besides, that would be um, rare. That'd be rare. I know, right? Well, I there's another Dave, Dave Cruz, who has a, a radio show, and he's we've become friends over the years. And he's based in California. But he, I, I have a cousin, Dave, but really, I guess you're not my only Dave then. <laughs> You're my main Dave. I have a my main Dave. I have a dad, Dave. Oh yeah, you're wait. You're you named after your dad. His name's Dave. Does he go by David? No, he goes by Dave. (gasps) Does anybody ever call you David? Uh, My sister, my grandmother, and my mother, my aunts. That's Uh it. Uh huh. See, sometimes when I'm like. I, I I meet someone and they have a couple different ways of saying their name. I always ask, like, what does your mother call you? <laughs> yes. But it feels like you'd be in trouble with right. someone if someone called you David. Yeah. Because aren't you the baby? I am. Yeah. It's so obvious. <laughs> it's so obvious. I say that with love because I have a little brother and, you know... I hear I you, Varley. I'm the most like my mom, right? But we all know who the favorite is. So I hear you. You just gotta roll with it. I mean, he's a favorite for a reason. I like Single it. brother. I like it. Okay, that's fun. I'm excited about that because um, we can get into Christmas ghosts and um, cryptids and Krampus and all that stuff. I think it's gonna be good. Yeah, so I can't wait for the more to know more about Vegas. Well, but I'm not gonna. I'm not. I'm not buying my hotel until you buy your hotel. All right. 
right. I just want to make sure it's the same hotel. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to like, oh, shoot. I should have shouldn't have booked this so far in advance. No, no. I got to book mine here soon. In, yeah. the, in the new yeah. year, I'll book mine. And uh, yeah, sounds good. So we're uh, Kira and I were just talking about it tonight uh, a little bit. And uh, I think what we're going to do is I know our team is coming in on the Thursday, the 18th. Mm-hmm. And then we have so we're going to do a team uh, dinner there. And then we'll go hang out somewhere. And then on mm-hmm. the Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to do a get together with our because uh, most of the guests and everybody will arrive on the Friday. Uh, on the evening of the Friday, we want to make sure that uh, if you if anybody who buys a VIP pass for it, we're going to go hang out, uh, you know, for dinner at a private get together. Mm, Saturday private. Saturday is the is the YouTube day, and then what we haven't figured out what we're doing Saturday night yet. And then Sunday oh. still has to be. I think Sunday. Group excursion. Sunday morning, I think we're going to be. Uh, Carter Bouchard. Be hungover. Yeah. But <laughs> That's Car- what's going to happen. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to be serious here. Now we got to go. I'm sorry. I'm listening. Oh, hold on. Here we go. We passed the halfway point of Spaced Out Radio tonight. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears. I want to remind you that if you miss portions of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot. Read Shirky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Here we go. Final half hour of our cryptid world with Varla Ventura, her website, varlaventura.net, as we skim along the lines of immortality tonight. The undead is the topic du jour. And Varla's books can be found at any major bookstore. She is the queen of the dark side of the paranormal. Varla, welcome back. Thank you. I was going to say we're skirting the line between immortality and inappropriate. Oh, my. Oh, my. Sounds we'll like see. a sounds We'll like see a what book. else people ask, you know. Sounds like a new book you're going to write. <laughs> the immortal and in the, in the inappropriate. It'll be like paranormal romance. There I'll make go. a fortune. <laughs> oh, I, untapped audience. Oh, I agree. I agree. All right, let's let's get right into it. I mean, we talked a little bit about black-eyed children in the last half hour. You know, vampires. Let's get into vampires here yeah. because this is really, you know, going back to you know Bram Stoker's Dracula, which was a little bit more of a love story, as some people will say, than it was about the death of Gore. But I mean, there was the real life Dracula who uh, like to rip the heads off his enemies and put them on stakes so that way when other enemies came up, they would see what he did to the previous troops that tried to take over his kingdom. I mean, where did... Oh, yeah, you mean did, Vlad the Impaler? Vlad the Impaler. 
Good old Vlad. Well, yeah. <laughs> Good old Vlad. Well, Vlad, um, I think much of what we think of as vampires today, um, really, we do really have to attribute a lot to Bram Stoker because while perhaps the story itself can be construed as a love story of sorts, it's really the backstory of Dracula and, and Count, Count Dracula and who he who he is. And so some of the, um, you know, there's, there's been a lot of, it wasn't as much of a success during Bram Stoker's life as it was after his death. And so a lot of the questions that we have about what were his origins were never asked. He wasn't as important then as he should have been and as he is today. But you have you have Vlad the Impaler, and we know that, so Bram Stoker was like a student at Trinity College in Dublin, and he was like studying all these different things, and then he went on to start, like he was writing on the side, and he was working um, kind of for like the Irish government, and he was very well versed in um, Irish folklore, and there was actually an Irish chieftain that had very similar practices. Um, his name was like Oh God! It was, it's like Abarach or something like that. I'm totally saying it wrong. When I go to Ireland in March, I will ask someone how to pronounce it correctly, and then I'll report back. Um, but anyway, so that guy was basically like this super bloodthirsty chieftain, and then Vlad the Impaler was, you know, very similar. And then, of course, you have Elizabeth Bathory, who, um cannot be undersold as one of the most um, vampire, vampiric people that has ever lived. Now, how much of what Elizabeth Bathory actually did to all of those innocent girls is still like, it's kind of up for debate. But for anyone who doesn't know the story, Elizabeth Bathory was this countess she was, I believe she was a Hungarian countess and she had quite a bit of um, property to her name and she was a single woman. So this will sound familiar to anyone who's familiar with the witch trials. Woman with a lot of money and a lot of property. Somehow she gets accused of being this like um, uh, basically living vampire. But the story is that she... So I think it's pretty well accepted that she was abusive and she was abusive to all of her servants, most of whom were young girls who were very poor and would come up to the castle and work for her. The The far end of the story is that there was bloodletting and sometimes murder involved and she would bathe in their blood in order to look younger and more beautiful because she was said to be incredibly beautiful. Uh, but she was also fighting aging in a society where you're 39 and you're done. So um, there were a lot of <laughs> cards stacked against her. Now, I'm not, I say that kind of jokingly, but there were definitely some crimes that she was convicted of that were pretty horrific. Um, I have just read uh, some things more recently in like the last 10 years where, you know, <laughs> Elizabeth Bathory sympathizers, you know, she got a bad rap and that actually the person who led the persecution against her happened to be her cousin who stood to inherit all of her estate. So, you know, you got to take that story with a grain of salt. But 
that was a well-known and well-told tale at the time. And she used blood in order to obtain this immortality. And um, so you have all of those things kind of in play that are kind of building up the idea of what we think of as a vampire today. But you and I both know there are people who use vampire um, vampirism as a magical practice, right? You had Father Sebastian on, I think, last year, and he is like kind of the leader of the modern living vampire community. And they dress like vampires, they make fangs, and they have vampire balls. And they, you know, some of them, I'm sure, actually, I know, some of them do bloodletting rituals and things like that. But it's all safe and consensual, of course. See disclaimer at the back of the book. <laughs> but you, de- you definitely have, like, the idea of the glamour of the vampire that was really brought to life by um, Bram Stoker's Dracula and subsequent like Hollywood films uh, from that. So See, that, yeah. that whole, that whole culture of, you know, bloodletting of, of, you know, human vampires. Okay. I get that everybody can have their thing. You know what I'm saying? Every, 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 <laughs> yeah. Everybody can we have, gotta accept that. Yeah. You know, whether, whether it's a fetish or whether it's who they are or what they are or, or whatever it may be. I get that. Hey, to each their own. I, I fully agree with that. All right? Be who you want to be. All right? But I, they're not vampires, damn it. You're not a vampire because you're not uh, immortal. You know, like, let's let's call this, let's call it yeah, what, for what it is. Time will tell, I guess. But, yeah, okay, but they don't claim to be, um, they, they call themselves living vampires because they are using the vampiric principles and the folklore and the mythology. And they're putting that into ritual work in the same way that somebody who follows the teachings of Aleister Crowley would join the OTO or somebody who is, um, you know, a witch might join a coven. It's the same kind of principle. And so today, like, I, I don't know. I mean, honestly, back in the day, if you weren't accused of being a witch, you were accused of being a vampire or werewolf. Like those were kind of the main things that you were accused of being. And it just wasn't as common that you'd get accused of being a vampire or a werewolf, but they were certainly things that you could be accused of as, as being a practitioner of the dark arts. Um, They all were kind of lumped together. And so they were all, you know, they were all burned side by side for um, whatever people believed about them. Yeah, dark hearts, light soccer. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, I, I get it. Uh, okay. There's a theme. There's okay, a theme. I get it, but do you think that there are real immortal vampires that are out there? Not the human ones who played on a Saturday yeah. night due to fetish. Yeah, I do. And I don't think that they, um, I don't think they look like that. I I think they look like, like really terrifying creatures, like the the description of the, the Derek do. I, the, the woman who is, you know, came back to life for revenge and is now doomed to, to roam, you know, the dark countryside forever. Um, occasionally wreaking havoc. So, you know, so, um, yeah, I mean, I think that there's like, it's more in the horrific supernatural appearance of like, you know, something that kind of is in, in that, um, other realm versus like, 
hey, I, you know, someone with like a really nice collared shirt. <laughs> I want it to be the nice collared shirt, but I actually, my belief in vampires um, beyond the like, you know, the, my friends who, who identify as vampires, um, basically like that is the, the idea that they're actually these kind of very ethereal beings more than a, um, looking like a physical human, like as physical as a, as a regular person. Okay. Do they go around hunting humans? I mean, yeah, right? Like, they can certainly cause, like, ill luck and probably injury and sometimes death. I mean, if you read some of the accounts of the Derek Do, there's that's why you don't go out on the road at night and why you don't go to certain castles and um, castle ruins and why you don't go to certain places because that's her territory and you just kind of got to respect that. And if you're going to be disrespectful of that, it's not unlike, you know, a, par an, a paranormal entity, right? It's kind of in the same vein of that. Like if you go looking for it, you may not find it, but if you go and disrespect it, you, you may find it when, you know, you're not looking for it. And, um, you know, major illness could, um, could be yours <laughs> for, for the keeping. <laughs> Where do you think they're found? Are they in North America? Are they still in Europe in the old, yes, everywhere. old areas? Everywhere. Yeah. I mean, some of the, um, sort of undead. Okay. So one of the things that's very, um, widely believed with various names is the idea of the unquiet dead. And these are souls. Some people believe that that is what brings on poltergeists or brings on hauntings. Other people believe that they are, you know, um, what we would call today a vampire, but the idea that they are the unquiet dead, they are not sleeping peacefully in the ground. They are not, um, at rest and the unquiet dead it is thought that the unquiet dead roam they roam and anyone who tries to tap into their um energy can actually you know experience both good and bad from the unquiet dead some uh cultures believe that it is someone who is buried in unconsecrated ground which actually kind of ties in with the idea of the rocks and the bricks in the mouth um those would have been people who were not highly regarded in society society for whatever reason very well may be justified they could have done something horrific and they were punished and um you know believed to be this um, supernatural being or just in case let's shove a stone in their mouth to be on the safe side to make sure that this thing that is a horrific abomination of a humankind never comes back to life in any form human or supernatural so um you know that's why there were specific burials and that's where we get the stake the stake into the heart the stake into the neck the, the rocks in the face, the brick in the mouth, all that kind of stuff were, were means of, for different cultures to kind of control the, I, the uh, unquiet dead from coming back. And you see it, you see variations of this, um, you know, in Greek culture and Slavic, I mean, really vampires come from a lot of the Slavic um, 
cultures and like some of the um, Russian folklore in particular, um, there's some very dark, creepy things that are in the woods and in the rivers and, you know, in the cemeteries where you are not supposed to be rooting around, um, you know, a place that you're supposed to leave and be respectful. Does garlic work? Nope. I, I, I only think that garlic became popular when vampires were sort of akin to the, to the, to the, so in, in Europe in particular, it was known that garlic had a lot of, um, medicinal properties, including being like antiviral, antifungal. We know this today. It's like an extreme, it's like the cure-all miracle drug, garlic. And so if you, um, apply that sort of folk medicine to the idea of it repelling, you may actually also have been repelling certain diseases. It, it's not unlike um, there's a belief that when a woman is in labor, that if that they all the doors and all the windows should be closed and all the drawers to every cupboard should be locked. Um, so basically everything's sealed so that the fairies cannot come in and take that baby but you know what else you're doing? You're controlling the environment and you're keeping germs from being spread by doing so. So there's, I think that's like where garlic kind of came into play as being a, a way to ward off um, the disease. Jenny has a question for you. Farley, have you heard of the vampire of New Orleans? He hypnotizes yeah. ladies in bars and leaves them with bites, then releases them. Yeah. I have actually heard of him, and actually, I feel like of, of if, if vampires are anywhere, that's the city where they are. Um, I think that there's probably just some drugging involved in that situation, and somebody with also a lot of, um, you know, people with a lot of magical prowess often are also incredibly persuasive. Um, and have a lot of charisma and can kind of like, you know, operate on that level of sort of drawing someone in. But absolutely, I don't know anyone who's encountered this vampire personally, but I've read many accounts of this, um, you know, living vampire. And I don't know, it's probably some like, you know, dude who just was rejected in high school. And now he just slips something in somebody's drink and makes them think that he's powerful vampire roofies that's what that's all vampire roofies vampire so gross roofies. who does that <laughs> too far who vampire, does that? That, that guy that guy we know who you are i actually might know who it is no i'm just kidding <laughs> i, I want to i want to ask you uh, now this is obviously going to go in a completely different direction here great but people have been noticed noted over the years to make or create tulpas would would tulpa-like mm. creatures, whether it's Bloody Mary, whether it's Siren Head, whether it's the Hat Man, mm. would they all of a sudden become or have the power of immortality? I mean, I think that kind of goes into the idea of like, are we talking about immortality because they have been created out of like popular culture? And kind of a general belief in something because, yes, then you can achieve immortality. From skiing and riding down perfectly groomed slopes 
to cozy gatherings by the fire. There are so many memories to share in the mountains. Come for a quick getaway or plan an extended stay at Vale, Beaver Creek, Heavenly, and more world-class resorts. Book your stay at snow.com. Hey there, I'm David Novak. I ran Taco Bell, KFC, and Pizza Hut. And like you, I'm always learning so I can be the best leader I can be. That's why I started How Leaders Lead, the first leader-to-leader podcast with CEOs from Target, Pepsi, and Adobe, and greats like Tom Brady, Jim Nance, and Jack Nicklaus. You'll learn how to win, how to bounce back, and how to lead. So listen to How Leaders Lead wherever you listen to podcasts. It's the best podcast on leadership you'll ever listen to. But if you're talking about, um, I mean, in theory, as long as your story is told and repeated, you've achieved immortality. So, you know, in 200 years, when they're talking about old Davy Scott and what he did in Vegas, that is going to maintain your immortality from that. So from that sort of like existential way, then yes, these things can be immortal, but are they actually capable of becoming like physical supernatural beings that achieve immortality? It's difficult to say immortality because we are talking about something that exists on another plane, like a supernatural being exists on another plane and has a completely different relationship to time and space. And so as humans, we're trying to stamp our like immortal, yes, not immortal, you know, like we're constantly trying to define everything and figure out what category it fits into. And I just don't know if you can really do that, um, you know, officially and um, be able to say that this creature is now immortal. Um, I mean, the things that are kind of the, the undead, I mean, as far as something being undead or the unquiet dead, I mean, that can be someone that, you know, Um, you know, it's, it's, but is it, I feel like it's more likely to be someone, you know, or something you resurrect or some, some kind of like thing that you invoke in a ritual, then it's going to be someone staring into a mirror and saying, bloody Mary, you know, now the hat man, on the other hand, that I feel like the hat man goes back like way, way back because I remember hearing stories of um, and seeing actually I saw something once that in my um, uh, childhood home that was a man that was like a ghost with a hat on. Right. So um, that I'm not sure if I I'm not convinced entirely that that's a tulpa in the kind of like collective consciousness way but i I don't know what do i know you know it's all supernatural so it's really hard to like define no i and i get that it's very supernatural and hard to put put anything you know square pegs and round holes sometimes (laughs) it works and sometimes it doesn't but if people keep putting the energy into it does Mm. that not light it up for Potentially years, decades, millennia. Oh, uh, yes, absolutely. But does it manifest it? Be- I mean, is it is it just people saying like, "Oh, yeah, I saw that too"? Or I mean, the only the only thing I can think of is like, no matter what you do or say, if we're all looking at like a cloud, and I say, "Oh, look at that heart!" Like half the people 
are going to say they see the heart just because they want to make me feel good about seeing the heart. And then maybe like a third of the people are going to actually see the heart. And then the rest of the people are going to be when that's whatever. I just did a third and a half, but you know what I'm saying? Like not everyone. um, How do I say this nicely? I don't believe all of the, of the accounts. And that is something that you know very well. And you know, I'm a believer and I don't doubt too many people when they tell me their stories because I've had experiences I can't explain, so I can't pass judgment. However, I do believe, and I know this from from filtering stories that I have included in books and things like that, that sometimes the stories are not authentic and they're not authentically experienced. And they, so you, you know, you, I don't know, you just kind of have to be aware of that so that you aren't, um, I don't know. I, I don't know why you have to be aware of it. I guess just because, you know, you got to protect yourself somehow. Because if you're sharing vulnerable information with someone and they're lying, that's totally like not cool, right? No, not at all. Not at all cool. <laughs> not, not, uncool. Stole. No coolness <laughs> there. No whatsoever. coolness allowed. In that situation. You got that That's right. The definition of uncle. <laughs> right. We have a grand total of one minute left with you tonight. And it's been a show that has flown on by as they normally do. And your next appearance on this show will be December 22nd with Creepy Christmas Stories, which yeah. we're going to do for the first time on this show. So that'll be really, really cool. Oh, yeah. Ooh, even better. Yeah, even better. Great. Absolutely. Do me a favor. Tell everybody where they can find your books and information. You, yeah, you can find my, just VarlaVentura.net, as Dave always puts it so beautifully. VarlaVentura.net. I'm on all the socials, more or less, not quite all of them and not all the time under my name. And all of my books are uh, in print and available anywhere books are sold. And um, you can find links to them on my website and, you know, you just Google my name. Yeah. <laughs> Two Var- V's. That's all Var- you need to know. <laughs> VarlaVentura.net. VarlaVentura.net is the website. Varla, thank you so much for being awesome. And we'll talk to you very, very soon. Thank Com- you. Thank you. Missed you. <laughs> Coming up next, we're going to head to the swamp. We got the Swamp Dweller back then. Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio is going to be here for the Cryptid Report. Shirky Boo's got the news later on. Hour three of Spaced Out Radio continues right after this. Yay, we're clear. That was so fun, Dave. Thank you. Oh, anytime. <laughs> needed that. <laughs> it was good for the soul. It was good, good for the soul. And good for the soulless. And good for the soulless and the immortals. Mm-hmm. I'll call I you. Know, I feel I'll... like I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to have some kind of like really disturbing vampiric encounter um, nice. when I go to Ireland and um, we're going in March. And then, uh, yeah, and then I'm going to Scotland in April. So just nice. a whirlwind of Celtic fun. <laughs> nice. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm going to let you go here because I do got to go check on my little guy. Um, yes, but, please. Please do. Thanks, Dave. We will we'll talk, be in touch. I'll talk soon. I'll call you soon about Vegas, okay? 
Sounds great. Sounds uh, great, Dave. All right. Take care. Varley Venture, everybody. Night, everyone. Varley <laughs> There we go. Bye, Varla. All right. There she goes into the wild blue yonder. I'll be right back. I'm just going to go check on my little guy, everyone. Eddie Patch, how you doing, buddy? Good to have you here.
All right. Swamp Dweller coming up. You ever get those really disgusting uh, burps that you can taste? They're really warm when they come up. I've had those for like the last three or four days. They're just yucky. Absolutely yucky. Can't stand them. Christoph, it's good to see you here, my man. No, it's not like heartburn or anything like that. It's just like these uh, gross little burps. Been having them for like three, four days. Uh, Duke's channel is called World Bigfoot Radio. I want to say a big thank you tonight to Thomas Times 2, W. Decker Times 2, Lori, Pam, and Surf Chair for the amazing super chats. Very much appreciate the love and support. Don't forget you can do some shopping at spacedoutradio.com. And we got the Swamp Dweller coming up here momentarily. Here we go with our number three. Would you like to connect with us? Head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info. Now, back to Dave Scott and SOR. Third and final hour of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. My name is Dave Scott. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We very much appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Saculum. Saculum is your password. Use it wisely, Space Travelers, as the Clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. We continue on tonight as we head to the swamp, as we do every Monday through Friday night to kick off hour number three. Swamp Dwellers back with another spooky story. Hi, Spaced Out Radio listeners. This is Swamp Dweller. It's time for your nightly dose of spookiness on the show. If you have an interesting encounter or a spooky story that you would like to share, be sure to submit them in at swampdweller.net. You can also find our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash swampdwellerreads. Now, let's chill out, relax, and together, let's enter the swamp. Okay, I'm a 40-year-old man. But this story is from when I was 16 years old in 1998, and I got my first vehicle on the road, a 50cc motorbike. So, there was this dude I used to know. He was a few years older than me, and he had his own place. We used to go round his gaff, 
with a mate or two, and I'd smoke pot, listen to music, and just chill. But that's just the in-between details. One particular night, I left his flat. It was a pretty sweet one. It was adapted from the old servants' living quarters of this mansion in the middle of nowhere in the woods. I was heading home, driving on my bike, going through the winding roads through the woods. Home is my parents' cottage, which is also in the sticks. Now, we lived in a very rural area, and it was about a five-mile ride for me to get to his house from mine, down a single-lane country road surrounded by nothing but trees for miles and miles. I remember the moon was big and bright, and I was enjoying the brisk winter air. It was sometime around 1 a.m., about three miles into my journey, I came into a thick wooded area, and the trees were quite thick at the canopy, so it cut out absolutely all the moonlight. The nearest street lamp was in a town another 10 miles away. I came to this junction where it was not my right of way, so I pulled my bike to a halt. Not that there would be any traffic there at this time of night, but I had had a close call before in the past by just winging past, and I learned my lesson. So, to a stop I came. I looked left and right, then went again. And as I turned my head back, I came face to face with a man standing beside me. He had an overcoat on with the hood up and just stood there with his face in mine. I screamed like a little girl in his face, peeled out of there like nobody's business, and gunned it the rest of the two miles back home without slowing down one time. I rode into the drive, whipped my keys out of the ignition, and dropped the bike with no time for the stand. I fumbled desperately with my front door key, and the more desperate I got, the more I couldn't make it work. Finally, I got in the house and locked the door behind me. My mother was sitting up having her last cigarette of the night and reading a book before bed. She had never seen me so white and scared and inquired about what had happened. I couldn't speak and just went to my room and tried to sleep. It was tough to sleep that night. Whenever I closed my eyes, I could see that man's face. The next morning, it just seemed like a bad dream. I told my parents what had happened, and my mom said that some other guy had a very similar experience at the junction a couple of years before. I didn't stay late at my friend's house for at least a month afterward. Even today, if I have to travel that route through the woods, I always expect to see him again. But thankfully, I never have, and I hope I never do again. Uh, it was a short and sweet one from the Swamp Dweller tonight as Swampy joins us every Monday through Friday night from his YouTube channel, which you can hear thousands of stories just like that for free. All you have to do is go hit subscribe on his channel. You can listen for yourself. It's always very, very good and entertaining. I listen to him right before I go to bed each and every night. Yeah, I'm a weirdo that way. But for now, we say goodnight to Swamp Dweller, and hello to the man, the myth, and the cryptid legend from World Bigfoot Radio and the Cryptid Report. Here's Super Duke Sullivan. Cryptid Report comes on in, Super Duke, always bringing us some spooky story from the nether regions of the forests and jungles from around the world. How you been doing, Super Duke? Hey, Dave. I'm exhausted. <laughs> when aren't you? It's been a very long, yeah, it's been a very long day. I'm uh, vetting new uh, roomies here again to replace the defective one I got stuck with. And so they've been in and out of the place all day long while I'm trying to get other things done. So it's like really wearing me down. But in the process of all the other things that were going on today, I was reminded of uh, several interesting things. 
and you know uh, talking about this time of the year we're just after the big spooky halloween and all that kind of stuff and uh in um february the second week of february 50 years later and i'm supposed to be some kind of uh, knowledgeable about all these different cryptids and sub varieties and i still don't know what the hell i saw so so much for being an expert uh and it kind of and it bothers me yes the only good that came out of that is that i had somebody who's like Sibila Irwin, very good, used to be a police forensic artist and still had all the computer program for it so they can make faces that look like faces without using a pencil. And he did a recreation of it for me. And uh, aside from giving me more PTSD, because the closer it got to looking like it actually looked, the scarier it was every time I had to review it, um, the only good that came out of it is that, of course, I made it public and I had... Over the course of the next two years, three other people from different parts of the country contacted me and went, I saw that thing. I don't know what that is, but that's exactly what I saw. <laughs> Where did you see this? And then we're like, yay, very small club, but at least somebody else has seen this damping, whatever it is. So, you know, ongoing mystery there. But I'm also reminded that a few months later in the fall, right around this time of the year, 50 years ago, there's a very pivotal TV show, and a lot of people talk about, uh, especially cryptid researchers and stuff, being influenced by In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy. And yeah, he was cheating. He was using all of the uh, computerized uh, sensor systems on the Enterprise and scanning the Earth's cryptids, and then didn't want to break the prime directive and let us know stuff too early, so he only gave us certain information on it. But anyway, a lot of people were, you know, very much influenced by In Search Of. Well, there was another show that wasn't In Search Of, but that was really influential with a lot of people my age and other cryptid people will tell you about it. And this was just a TV show that was a scary TV show called Kolchak the Night Stalker, K-O-L-C-H-A-K. And this guy was an independent news reporter who wore the uh, crappy white suit <laughs> and the white shoes, and he had his little straw hat, and he had his little case that he'd carry around, and he had his camera with him. And he he worked for the Independent News Service, which, uh, you know, at the time when there was no... Have plans for the outdoors? Make the memories last with Orca coolers and drinkware. Orca coolers are built to be as strong as the adventures you take them on. That's why they have a lifetime warranty while giving you world-class temperature retention. Orca's premium drinkware offers the same high quality, keeping your drinks icy cold or hot for hours. Their tumblers and martini cup are perfect companions for your next outdoor adventure. Go to orcacoolers.com and use promo code 15 for 15% off your order. That's orcacoolers.com, promo code 15. Hey there, I'm David Novak. I ran Taco Bell, KFC, and Pizza Hut. And like you, I'm always learning so I can be the best leader I can be. That's why I started How Leaders Lead, the first leader-to-leader podcast with CEOs from Target, Pepsi, and Adobe, and greats like Tom Brady, Jim Nance, and Jack Nicklaus. You'll learn how to win, how to bounce back, and how to lead. So listen to How Leaders Lead wherever you listen to podcasts. It's the best podcast on leadership you'll ever listen to internet most of the news was being run by the big mainstream media the big newspapers the big news tv channels radio stations and whatnot but there was still this independent news service which uh which little reporters would go run around and dig up interesting stories 
and uh, try and write them up. And if they're interesting enough, they'd sell them to the bigger outlets and then they'd make money off that. So that's what the character Carl is supposed to be doing. Now, Carl has really good senses as far as researching things and really bad luck at running into things that he shouldn't. So the whole <laughs> gist of the show is that he keeps running into things like uh, eight undying immortals, vampires, uh, lizard men in tunnel systems underneath cities, and you know horrible things like this. And he finds out that there's something weird going on. He starts researching it more. He starts realizing there's some kind of weird paranormal supernatural monster thing going on. And then he gets more information on it. He does all the research himself, just like modern-day cryptid people do. And then he tries to, of course, go to the cops and tell them, hey, there's monsters out here. And the cops go, ha, ha, Carl, get lost, you crazy lunatic. I don't care if you got pictures. You're making stuff up because you're trying to make a buck off your crazy stories. And he gets the same kind of thing from his uh, his main boss that he works for and everything. And, of course, by about halfway through the show, he's figuring out that nobody's going to help him and that he's going to have to deal with the monsters himself, which most of the time he does successfully. <laughs> Get rid of the monster, too, yet. And I used to love this show when I was a kid. I just thought it was so um, entertaining. It was so well-written. Darren McGavin played the part of Cole, Carl Kolshak, and he is great at looking like he's just whizzing himself with terror. So he was the perfect guy to play the part of this intrepid journalist who was super tough up until the moment that he saw the monster, and then he'd like want to whiz himself or run away inevitably, but he'd still pluck up the courage to defeat the monster anyway. So here's the upshot of this story. I realized that without intending to, I have become Carl Kolshak. Because what do I do? I research cryptids. I find out they're real. I get more information on them. I try and tell people they think I'm crazy. And I put it out on the independent news service, which today is called the Internet. So I have somehow become Carl Kolshak. <laughs> and for any of you that haven't ever, ever, ever seen that, you can see most of the episodes still on YouTube. They're absolutely great. I highly recommend the uh, Spanish Moss, um, I think what it's, it's Spanish Moss Mystery or something. Spanish Moss something or another. Go look it up. It's great. Really excellent. Um, and so the other thing is that, well, you know, in the course of becoming this roving reporter, independent news service guy that's researching cryptid, you got to start somewhere. So I was thinking about that earlier today. You know, what? what's the first time that I ever interviewed somebody? When did that happen? And it occurs to me that actually that happened before I ever saw my first cryptid. And the person that I interviewed, anybody that's ever heard of the seven degrees of separation, the person I interviewed gives me one degree of separation from Johnny Carson, uh, Buffalo Bill Cody, and uh, Custer. Now, what the hell am I talking about? Well, the first time that I interviewed somebody, I was five years old. And there was this guy that was going around doing a tour. He was very, very elderly. He had started out with Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. And he had been one of the extras that you can see in all the old silent movies where the natives come riding in to attack the, the cowboys. He was usually one of the guys on the horses. He was actually an Indian. And he had been in Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. And he was, in fact, an Indian chief the Sioux. He got to tour all over with Buffalo Bill's Wild West show as long as that was going on. He went over into Europe, toured all over there, met the king and queen, blah, 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 came back here. And in his later years, during the 1960s, he actually appeared on Johnny Carson. If you want to go Google image, you can see a picture of that. So this gentleman was most famous for what had happened when he was a little bitty kid. 
So I go to meet this guy. I'm five years old. I got my four-year-old brother with me, so I'm tiny. And this guy like looks like a giant to me, even though he's sitting in a chair and he's very old. He's got the full native chief regalia on, looks very impressive, has the weathered face. I mean, it just looks like the painting of the ancient Indian you would see, except this is flesh and blood, real life. This guy's 100 years old. I'm five years old. I want to ask him this question really, really bad. But if he jumps up and smites me or something, I'm afraid, you know, he's going to get me because he can, he can reach me. He might have a hidden war club or something. So carefully making sure that my four-year-old brother is nearby in case I have to shove him in front and run for it. I pluck up all my courage and I ask Chief Red Fox, who was at the Little Bighorn, did you get to scalp Custer? And he looked at me like, was I serious? And he went, no. And then I was incredibly disappointed. And I went, oh. And he got the hugest smile on his face. And right at that moment, my dad took a picture. He actually was there. He was a little kid when that happened. And after the whole battle was over, he was one of the kids who got tasked with dragging away anybody that was wounded, that was still alive, and picking through all the wreckage to see if there was anything usable and dragging that away, too. So one degree of separation. So think about that now. This guy was alive and was there for the Battle of Little Bighorn, and I met him when I was a little kid. So a lot of times you you like to think about things that happened in the Wild West being infinitely long ago, but really they weren't that long ago. That is strange, Super Duke. Very, very strange, you know. I don't even know where to go with that. Yeah, well, I mean, there you go. You know, I, it that, that took like all the courage I had as a little five-year-old kid to walk up to this, you know, living statue of the most impressive Indian chief you could see sitting there giving me that look and go, did you get to scalp Custer? And the look on his face was just so surprised, you know. And then he got this huge grin because he didn't like Custer. And that was just at the point where public sentiment was starting to turn around and everybody was starting to go, well, wait a minute. We like totally screwed over these people and took their land away from them and stuff. And that really hadn't penetrated into the culture at all. And I think he was so thrilled to see this little blonde haired five-year-old kid being all indignant that he didn't get to scalp Custer. (laughs) And uh, I asked us, he asked me a couple more questions and I was like, Oh yeah, Custer was a very bad man. Good that you guys got rid of them, something along those lines. I was only five years old, but I was always, when it came to playing Cowboys and Indians, I was on the side of the Indians. I wasn't playing Cowboys. Well, there you go. There you go. How does this tie into the cryptids? Well, there's a lot of reports of giants from North America and people digging up their bones, and some of them even being seen recently. And the one thing that always keeps coming up is, well, where's the skeletons? Well, there's these people at this place called the Smithsonian that keep dragging them away. And a lot of this stuff was actually found during when Chief Red Fox was alive and dug up and drug away. And let's not forget that up until the late 1800s, it was perfectly fine to talk about this stuff. As a matter of fact, um, Abraham Lincoln, during his address at Niagara Falls, made mention of we're now seeing the same sight that the eyes of those giants that once ruled North America gazed upon. Where the hell did that come from? Now, nowadays, that would you would think the, the president was a total loony if he said that. And back in those days, everybody took it as, well, yeah, of course. Used to be giants. But then suddenly something changed, you know. And so 
what was it that changed? Um, and really what it was was the, um, the Smithsonian. And if I can find the beginning of this part here where it really talks about Powell. Powell, when Congress created the Bureau of Ethnology in 1879, Powell was named its first director a post he held until his death in 1902. Placed under the auspices of the Smithsonian Institution. And where did the Smithsonian come from? Well, there was a guy named Smithson who died without any heirs, had a ridiculously huge amount of money, and donated it to make museum and preserve history over here. And um, it's hilarious to note that Smithson's body was reburied at the Smithsonian Castle in the 20th century. In a sarcophagus that lists his age at death, a 75, when it's common knowledge he was closer to 65 when he died, so they can't even get that right. So anyway, uh, because of his experience as a Western explorer, Powell was considered an expert on the geography of the American West and was asked to write a report on the history of the ancient tribes and their probable origins, to, uh, which was to become the official policy of the Smithsonian for the next 100-plus years. The title of Powell's first report to the Secretary of the Smithsonian in 1879 on limitations to the use of some anthropological data is revealing and shows the ulterior policy at work within the nascent institution. The following is taken from that report. Investigations in this department are of great interest, and I have attracted to the field a host of workers that a general review of the mass of published matter exhibits the fact that the uses to which the material has been put has not always been wise. In the moments of antiquity found throughout North America in camp and village sites, grave mounds, ruins, scattered works of art, the origin and development of art in savage and barbaric life, may be satisfactorily studied. Incidentally, too, hints of customs may be discovered, but outside of this, the discoveries made have often been illegitimately used, especially for the purpose of connecting the tribes of North America with peoples of so-called races of antiquity in other portions of the world. A brief review of some conclusions that must be accepted in the present status of the science will exhibit the futility of these attempts. And then Powell then goes on to definitively state there are no foreign influences to be seen or studied in relation to the Pueblo and mound building cultures of the Americas that are believed to precede the American Indians. In relation to this dismissive comment regarding any connection to the lost tribes from the old world, it's interesting to note that Powell was the son of a preacher in Palmyra, New York, who lost his flock to Mormon missionaries. So in the study of these antiquities, there has been much unnecessary speculation in respect to the relation existing between the people to whose existence they attest and the tribes of Indians inhabiting the country during a historic period. It may be said that the Pueblos discovered in the southwestern portion of the U.S. and further south through Mexico and perhaps into Central America, tribes are known having a culture quite as far advanced as any exhibited in the discovered ruins. In this respect, then, there's no need to search for extra-limital origin through lost tribes for any art there exhibited. With regard to the mounds so widely scattered between the two oceans, it may also be said that mound-building tribes were known in the earliest history of the discovery of this continent, and vestiges of art discovered do not excel in any respect the art of the Indian tribes known to history. There is therefore no reason for us to search for an extra-limital origin through lost tribes for the arts discovered in the mounds of North America. Foremost among the wrong-headed theories Powell championed is evolution. So we're shown charts of man becoming bipedal and each new man becoming bigger and smarter than the last. This is, however, in direct contradiction to the charts 
we use for every other animal we study. We, I've only to look at a bird and be told that it was once a dinosaur to know how pulse this paradigm of man's growth is. Look at the evolution of most animals, and the record says they got smaller over time, not bigger. However, with all the modern edifices of education built on the theory of evolution and the growing, st- growing stature of humanity, we can't very well have the Smithsonian running around telling people that we've degenerated from an ancient race of giants who once ruled America. Now, can we? The second theory current at the time was called Uniform Gradual History, a benign theory that says Earth goes along for huge spans of time with no catastrophes. The opposite of this theory is the more modern school of thought called catastrophism, based on the provable fact that disasters actually happen frequently and often. The record here in America speaks clearly on this subject. It relates not only to the disappearance of the Western inland civilization, dating back around 5000 BC, which was wiped out by volcanoes, but also to the sudden cessation of the copper trade around 1500 BC. Why is this significant? Because Cretan culture was wiped out in a series of catastrophes brought on by the massive explosion of the Santorini volcanoes on one of the Cretan Empire islands. I do not think it's a coincidence that in 1500 BC, the volcano wiped out the Cretan Empire and the exodus in Egypt factors into this and shut down the copper trade in America for almost 2,000 years. The third major contributing factor to the extent historical myopia is the land bridge theory, which states that all the Indian tribes reached America from Asia across the Alaskan land bridge. The man who came up with this absurd and unprovable theory is none other than Dr. Aylesford Licka, the first curator of physical anthropology in the U.S. National Museum, now called the Smithsonian Institution National Museum. Super Duke, I'm going to put you on hold right there. That's what I love, the Giants. And Super Duke melding together on the Krypton Report tonight. Melding. Never get to use that word. World Bigfoot Radio, Super Duke Sullivan continues with the Krypton Report on Spaced Out Radio right after this. So there you go, running an agenda. Agenda, agenda, agenda. I do have questions. Can't do real for science. You Gotta run an agenda. <clears throat> I do have a question for you regarding that, uh, but I'll wait till What's the show. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now I got several actual reports of them digging up these bones and stuff. Now I'll end with, and then the friendly people from the Smithsonian showed up and hauled the bones away for later study. Yeah, of course you never saw them again. No, of course not. All right. It's time for a parasig. Believe it or not, we're having thunder snow right, right now. And it is right now warmer than it's been in the middle of the day for the last five days. So, <laughs> peculiar weather. Really? <coughs> Excuse me. Super Duke, Super Duke. Hi, Jordan Ashley Pettit. Hi, Amherst Para World. Hi, Lunar Tina. And let's block that one. Got it. Bingo. Bingo. Got it. I like Duke's new studio. It's pretty badass.
Hey, Super Duke. You see that strange video of all those uh, sheep in, in, in... Going in a circle? I know that's really weird. My goodness. Very strange. Yeah, what's been freaking me out is that video of the guy that got the uh, video of the giant walking on the mountain ridge up there in uh, Jasper and then did a bunch of follow-up videos on it, got threatened, and then mysteriously died. That's yes. a little bit suspicious. Yes. I've heard that uh, two times in the last couple of days, and you're down the third. There's like three or four channels that have already done full-length videos on it and showed all of his updates and videos and everything he posted, too. And the uh, the report of his death, which has no cause listed. Right. And this guy wasn't old or anything. He was in his 30s, probably. If that. Yeah. The guy was from Whistler. Yep. Yeah. Andrew something, if I remember right. Something like that. One second, Super. Surf Jair, Pam, Lori, Dig, uh, Thomas, and W. Decker, thank you so much for the Super Chats tonight. Very much appreciate the love. We're at 100 thumbs up. If you haven't done so yet, give us a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And if you're new, don't forget to hit subscribe. Good morning, Stephen Finnegan. And here we go with the final half hour.
Around at third, we're headed for home tonight on Space Down Radio. My name is Dave Scott. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We very much appreciate it. I want to remind you that if you miss all of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. We continue on tonight with the Cryptid Report from World Bigfoot Radio. Super Duke Sullivan is back with us. How you doing, Duke? I'm doing. You're always just doing, man. I got a question about the Smithsonian stuff you were just talking about. All right. Why would yep. they be stealing bones of all these giants and just hiding them from us? Well, yeah, that's the whole point that I was getting to right there. First of all, I got Powell with his dismissive and weird attitude on all this. And then shortly after he takes over the Smithsonian, they get this thing called the Powell Doctrine. I guess they named that after. And it had a lot to do with Manifest Destiny because after the Civil War, they had plenty of nothing. Are you a Jeep owner or do you want to come watch a Jeep parade? Either way, West Baton Rouge has you covered. Friday, December 2nd, it's the Jingle Jeep Parade. Fun for all ages. Deadline to register is November 30th. For details or to register, visit westbatonrouge.net. Don't miss the Jingle Jeep Parade in West Baton Rouge. Come for the parade, stay for all the lights and fun. Visit westbatonrouge.net today and join in the fun for the Jingle Jeep Parade. Hey there, I'm David Novak. I ran Taco Bell, KFC, and Pizza Hut. And like you, I'm always learning so I can be the best leader I can be. That's why I started How Leaders Lead, the first leader-to-leader podcast with CEOs from Target, Pepsi, and Adobe, and greats like Tom Brady, Jim Nance, and Jack Nicklaus. You'll learn how to win, how to bounce back, and how to lead. So listen to How Leaders Lead wherever you listen to podcasts. It's the best podcast on leadership you'll ever listen to to do but go expand west and take over everything so what they were trying to say is that the poor savages needed civilizing because they've always been living in dirt huts and eating you know grass or whatever and they have no civilization so it be behooves us to bring our tremendous and wonderful civilization to them and force it on them whether they like it or not and one of the things that they wanted to make sure of is that there wasn't any evidence that any of the people on the continent had actually had a high civilization at any point, because then they wouldn't really need civilizing, would they? So that was one of the things that they're trying to cover up. And also, as it stated there, and what I was reading earlier, the idea that, that there had been connections with North America from Europe at the time was just completely verboten. And nowadays, we know that that's absolutely for a fact. The Sea People, Phoenicians, uh, you know, Atlanteans, whatever you want to call them, Minoans, um, at the same time that all of the trade in bronze was going on over in the Mediterranean, well, they had to get that copper from somewhere. And they have all these examples of the old things that were made at that time. And interestingly, for those unaware of it, um, copper can be traced even after it's used to make something back to its point of origin because they all have peculiar um, signature in them depending on where they were originally dug up out of the ground. And about 40% of that 
copper that made its way into all the copper and bronze things that uh, the Minoan civilization was scattering all over the Mediterranean came from North America. No question about it. So how did it get over there if there wasn't any contact with North America during the time that these early civilizations were busy running around? See, and that's, you know, again, they don't want that linkage made, so they're covering all this stuff up. We know for a fact now that there's a whole bunch of abandoned copper mines up around the Great Lakes. One of them's even got a stone slab on the uh, right next to it that they discovered that's got carvings of, guess what, the Phoenicians on it. So this has all been about a massive cover-up of the actual history of North America to make it comport with what they wanted to tell the people. And that's why it went from, sure, there were giants, to, nope, there was no giants. Of course not. Of course not. But where are these giants being seen today? I, I, you know, I rarely hear reports of them in North America. A lot of them seem to come from the Middle East. Yeah. I think, well, there's, I don't think there's necessarily more reports from over there, although it would make sense that there's still some of the giants lingering around the area of the Levant because when the um, Israelites went to war with them, according to the biblical narrative, they managed to wipe out or chase most all of them out of their area. But how far are they going to chase them? You know, how far is far enough? Are they going to keep chasing them to the end of the earth? Well, probably not. So at some point they're going to get in, you know, the mountains around Afghanistan and Pakistan, perfect place for them to go hide. Nobody wants to live there anyway. And uh, so who's going to go mess with them? Um, And then the other thing is that there are reports from giants in North America, but they're just rare. Um, Cape Man Yazi told me, it's coming up, I think it's like two years ago now almost, that he ran into somebody that told him that there, and this is a native guy, was in the Superstition Mountains and saw a giant. And he described it as not a Bigfoot, but like a giant caveman with, you know, hide clothing and a club, and it was about 15 feet tall. And he said he's never, ever going into the Superstition Mountains again. And no, he isn't going to go on anybody's show and talk about it. But he was willing to tell cavemen that that's what he saw, and that's why he's never going there again. And he strongly encourages everybody else to not go there. (laughs) Uh, There's also the report that I gave earlier this year where I was contacted by an insider who had a relative that was actually involved in what was going on, where one of the parks abruptly got shut down in Colorado. And the very next day, What Lurks Beneath channel on YouTube did a report on this story that I had heard more or less uh, secondary from the horse's mouth uh, the day before. And he had most of the same details, not um, all the ones that I had, but he was talking about the same thing. So I went immediately and checked, well, you know, how many parks in Colorado are shut down right now? Well, there's three. Well, how many have been shut down for like a couple days and no more? Well, there was one. I started paying attention to that one. And then about two days later, it abruptly opened up again. Well, the story that I had gotten is that there had been an incident, at least one park ranger and possibly some other people had been killed, and that they had to shut the the park down, chase everybody out of it, call in military kill team. And the exact words, what I was told secondhand from the person that was boots on the ground had described it as another Kandahar incident. Oh, wow. So for people who may not know what the Kandahar incident is, what happened there? Well, this is over in, uh, I think it was 2003, early in the Afghanistan war period. And uh, there was a Marine recon 
or a group of Marines doing recon anyway, they were running around this one mountain area and they weren't, they didn't call back when they were supposed to and just vanished. So they sent in another unit to go try and find them. And they actually picked up their trail and started going up toward the mouth of this big cave up in the, the mountain. When they got up there, they saw a whole plethora of bones of various animals and what looked like military equipment, including a walkie-talkie that was lying on the ground outside the cave. When they got close to the cave, they heard this tremendous roar, and they were charged by what they describe as a half-naked giant man, about 12, 15 feet tall. Uh, he was wielding a pike with one hand and had red hair, white skin, probably tan. And uh, he attacked them, uh, ran the first guy in, the, in their group through with the... Uh, pike that he was carrying his big spear he had and picked the guy up still stuck on it in the air and was getting ready to rush at him and attack him again and at that point the shock wore off and one of them yelled fire at the face which they all started doing which again didn't bring him down immediately it was when they brought the 50 cows to bear on his face that apparently they finally knocked his uh, giant butt down but they found the remains of the missing marines there they called in for, you know, what do we do with a weird situation like this? And they were told to just stay there and wait. And then a big cargo helicopter came in, dropped cargo net. Uh, they loaded the body on the cargo net, and the cargo helicopter took off with it. So this story is actually backed up by the report of a guy who was there on the ground, claims this happened. And then another guy was at the Air Force Base when the copter came in, with the giant's corpse in the cargo net and was put down and then they loaded it onto a, a huge cargo plane to fly it out from there. And he was one of the guys that guarded the corpse on the cargo plane. So we've actually got this story from two different sources. And Steve Quayle got one of them. I think L.A. Marzulli talked to the other guy, if I remember right. Right. So these giants, what do they look like? Are, are they... Are they humanoid, or do they look like you and me, except maybe with worse hair? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's the the same description, and the same description as the Giants of Lovelock Cave that Princess Winnemucca talked about fighting with the Paiute tribe for about two and a half years until the Paiutes won and killed them all. Um, again, same description, 12 to 15 feet tall, looked like giant white men, had long red hair and beards. Um, you know, some of them uh, six digits, six toes, six fingers and double rows of teeth. And that also is, that's the classic description of the Napoleon. Six digits, double rows of teeth. And that's one of the things that uh, come into the, a lot of people don't realize that, that one custom of the native tribes in North America, when they met somebody that they didn't know, they would hold their hand up. You know, they used to show that in all the old cowboy and Indian movies, hold their hand up and say, how? Well, they weren't really, whether they were saying how or not, they actually did that. They would hold their hand up and the reason was so you could look at their hand and count that they only had five fingers, not six. Hmm. I never knew that. Yeah, the guys with the six fingers were the bad guys. <laughs> they were the ones that ate other people and uh, lorded over their little minion slave humans that they had. The mound builder culture that they've been digging up in Mississippi, that's another good example of them. Uh, hiding all this evidence and stuff because they've been digging up giant skeletons out of these mounds for decades, you know, like over for a couple hundred years now. And in a lot of uh, 
of cases early on, especially they carefully documented them. How big were they? What position were they setting in? You know, if you've ever seen like old archaeological sketches and stuff, they're extremely exacting and detailed. And a lot of them were the same thing over and over again. It kind of reminds you of the old Viking burials in uh, Northern Europe where the extremely rich Lord would die and they would kill all of his slaves and retainers and bury them with them. And this was apparently similar to the same thing that was going on here. But in this case, the Lord was some giant that was, you know, seven to 12 feet tall and all the retainers that were buried with him were just normal sized humans. So around North America, where it is a colder climate, are these things putting fur on their back after, say, bear kills or wolf kills or or something along those lines to stay warm? Yeah, exactly. There's been um, a couple, uh, two, three giant sightings up in Alaska, too. As a matter of fact, uh, Wes on Sasquatch Chronicles had somebody call him and tell him about it, and they wouldn't come on the show and talk about it because they're like, who the hell's going to believe this? Hard enough for people to even believe there's eight or ten foot tall monkey looking Bigfoot things walking around. Nobody's going to believe there's giants walking around. And what they're reporting is all the same thing. They look like cavemen. They look like huge, you know, pasty white white men with long red hair and beards and dressing in, you know, furs and leather and that kind of thing. Whatever they can make it out of. Okay, so are they living in caves? Are they living underground? Well, I would imagine, especially because most the ones that you get reported anymore are ones that are in really isolated areas, giant parks or huge forests out in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, you know, in places like that, first of all, they have to have lots and lots of food, so they need a big range. And if there's humans around to see them, then that's not going to work out very well. So they're going to try and be out in the middle of nowhere. And I would expect they do the same exact thing that the uh, mountain giants and the Bigfoot and a lot of these other cryptids do in the colder climates, they all have underground layers. And that's extremely common throughout mythology all over the world, too. All these big ogres and trolls and giants and stuff, they all have underground layers. So it's like their own mini city down there. Yeah, I mean, it depends on what they've got available. I mean, you know, These things are gigantic and super strong. If they want to excavate and make their own tunnel systems, they sure as hell can do it. And a lot of them probably just take advantage of pre-existing karst systems. Um, you know, states like Nebraska, uh, where you don't really think about it, there's gigantic cave systems underneath it. You've got limestone and sandstone, and uh, the, the water goes through it and just hollows out these massive undergrounds. Well, they can take advantage of that. And then you've got lots of evidence of uh, not only uh, places like uh, the underground cities over in Turkey, which they're now starting to find were way more extensive than they think, or thought, and that some of them are actually connected by tunnel systems. So there wasn't just like one huge underground city in Turkey. There was five or six, and they were all interconnected. Well, these things were all made for people. Apparently, they're for the right size as people. But, you know, why are you hiding underground? What is it on the surface that's making you hide underground? And then the other thing is that there have also been gigantic tunnels uncovered where the, the ceiling of the tunnel is 25, 30 feet up. And when you're talking about Stone Age primitive people with the supposedly primitive technology that we had at the time to excavate, why would you make anything that tall? You absolutely don't need to. There's no reason for it. And this was just in some kind of a service tunnel. It wasn't 
a show of extravagance, like making the entrance to a gigantic temple and making the temple look gigantic and everything and showing opulence and power. This is just like a big tunnel that they had dug underground for some reason. They weren't mining any minerals out of it. And this is down in South America. And it was like 25, 30 feet tall. Why? No idea. No idea. We're going to have to talk. That make logical sense. We're going to have to talk giants a little bit more at time, my friend. But it is time for us to get to the old Shirky Poos news. If you want to stick around for this one, this is going to be a good one. Okay. What time is it? All right. It's time for Shirky Poos news. Yeah, Shirky Poos news as we say sayonara to Super Duke. And hello, Shirky Poo. Let's start right off the bat here. You know, you don't expect this from priests. You just don't. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Smokes. A defrocked Catholic Catholic priest in Louisiana has pled guilty, Duke, to a felony of obscenity charge for filming a threesome with two dominatrix on his church's altar back in October 2020. Travis Clark, 39 years old, formerly of St. Peter Paul Church in Pearl River, received a suspended three-year prison sentence, three years of supervised probation, and ordered to pay a $1,000 fine. Clark had already paid $8,000 in restitution to the Archdiocese of New Orleans after Archbishop Greg Raymond declared the altar desecrated and ordered it to be burned and replaced two years ago. Clark's attorney, Michael Kennedy, questioned the fairness of the state's insistence that his clients pled guilty to a felony. I believe my client is far less likely to find himself in a similar situation ever again, Kennedy said. Whenever life takes Mr. Clark, or wherever life takes Mr. Clark from here, I hope it finds him well and able to put this fully behind him. Now, the women who participated in the sex tape, 30-year-old Melissa Chang and 43-year-old Mindy Dixon, pled guilty in July to misdemeanor counts of institutional vandalism. Yeah, sex on an altar. Institutional vandalism. They were each sentenced to two years probation, spared jail time. Clark's arrest shocked his congregation, the Archdiocese, and the Pearl River community. A passerby noticed lights on late inside the church on October 1st, 2020, according to court documents. The witness called authorities after looking inside and seeing the sexual acts on the church altar, all in front of a tripod-mounted camera. Clark was arrested along with the two women in corsets and high heels, while sex toys, stage lighting, and two recording devices were confiscated, the arrest affidavit stated. The archbishop removed Clark from the Catholic ministry the day after his arrest, saying his obscene behavior was deplorable. His desecration of the altar of the church was demonic. Oh, my. Oh, my. Hmm. An Indonesian farmer appears determined to get it right as he plans to marry for the not one, not two, not three, not four, not five. Duke, how, long, how many times do you think this guy's been married? Twelve. Oh, <laughs> you, you, uh, multiply that by seven and add four. So, Good yeah. Lord. Yeah, uh, rice farmer Khan, who's 61, has been married 87 times 
to 46 different women. Think about that for a second. Even his latest bride isn't all that new to him since he was married to her previously for only four months. It's not known what has changed, but Khan certainly is willing to take his chances. His longest marriage reportedly lasted 14 years. His first came when he was just 14 years old. Khan told Indonesian news outlets he chooses to get married instead of just dating women because, quote, I also didn't want to play with women's feelings, let alone other people's children, rather than committing immortality or immorality, mind you. Uh, it is better that I get married. All right. The American version of Subway is going to sell pre-made subs in vending machines. Oh, that just sounds very, very tasteful. The grab-and-go smart fridge made its debut at the University of California, San Diego in September of this year. But the company now plans to add more across North America in high-traffic areas like college campuses, airports, and hospitals, the company said. The sandwiches will be made at Subway stores, and purchases can be made by customers in a touchless manner. Subway has been selling pre-made subs in regular fridges at certain locations since 2020. I don't know about that. Uh, How does that kind of work? Do they have one of those tubes like uh, the banks have or something? Maybe. Maybe. That's actually actually a smart (laughs) comment. A man in the UK thought he was going deaf, Duke, because of issues he'd been having for five years. Well, turns out he's not going deaf, but a piece of earbud was lodged in his ear. Yeah, Wallace... Wallace Lee thought the hearing loss was just normal as a result of his career in the aviation industry or for playing rugby, but after using a home endoscope kit, he found the white object stuck in his ear, went to the doctor. He thinks it got stuck when he was on a trip to Australia and bought specific little earplugs that you could put in different attachments depending on the noise you want to phase out on a craft. One of those little attachments had lodged in there and had been in there ever since. So the doctor tried to suck it out, but it wouldn't go because it hardened around the earwax. Yeah, they got these mini tweezers then to pull on down, pushed it down the ear canal, felt a little tug, and pop, there it went. He could hear all of a sudden. That is your news from Shirky Poo for the night. Thank you, Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio for hanging on out with us. Swamp Dweller for another spooky story. And Varla Ventura with a couple of great hours of immortality. We got Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thal rocking in the background with Little Brother is watching. Bumblefoot is the official music of Spaced Out Radio. Rocking us in and out of every single show. Get your horns up for the guitar god himself. Special thanks to everyone listening in at home, at work, in your cars, wherever you may be. Thank you to everyone in our chat rooms tonight. Spreaker, YouTube, LGAP, Twitch, Facebook, the Space Travelers Club, and on Twitter at hashtag Space Out Radio. Remember, this show is copyrighted by Spaced Out Radio and SOR Media Ventures Limited. Thank you so much for choosing to share your evening with us because together, my friends. We're watching. We own the night. Mr. Bumblefoot, we need a favor. We need you to take us home. Yeah.
Yes, the Wu train has docked for the night. But soon, my friends, we shall ride again. Your seats are always available. Your tickets never expire. And if you want to bring a friend, we got room for them, too. Good night. Are you a Jeep owner, or do you want to come watch a Jeep parade? Either way, West Baton Rouge has you covered. Friday, December 2nd, it's the Jingle Jeep Parade. Fun for all ages. Deadline to register is November 30th. For details or to register, visit westbatonrouge.net. Don't miss the Jingle Jeep Parade in West Baton Rouge. Come for the parade, stay for all the lights and fun. Visit westbatonrouge.net today and join in the fun for the Jingle Jeep Parade. Hey there, I'm David Novak. I ran Taco Bell, KFC, and Pizza Hut. And like you, I'm always learning so I can be the best leader I can be. That's why I started How Leaders Lead, the first leader-to-leader podcast with CEOs from Target, Pepsi, and Adobe, and greats like Tom Brady, Jim Nance, and Jack Nicklaus. You'll learn how to win, how to bounce back, and how to lead. So listen to How Leaders Lead wherever you listen to podcasts. It's the best podcast on leadership you'll ever listen to.